does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. And for whatever reason, you are on Meridian Street. Meridian southbound at 30th. So just obviously the east side of the Children's Museum. But at 30th and Meridian, there is an accident that now the two cars are simply there. But like the police are doing reports, whatever else, and it's very backed up. And the problem, not problem, because... You hope the two people in the accident are okay. Uh-huh. You know, there was an ambulance that was leaving when I. By the time I got to it, but the challenge is a better word, because of the median that runs in the middle of Meridian now, because of the red line. You can't do a U-E and turn around. You're 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 boxed in. So if you're headed down and you see nothing but red lights in front of you, there's really nowhere to turn off on to the left or right. You go over the median, I guess, but I wouldn't advise it. But at any rate, so allow yourself a little bit of extra time if you normally go that route. Good morning to you on a Thursday. I am so mad at myself, Mark. I I, I am so angry at myself. Yeah. The, the days fly past pretty quick, and the week really goes by quickly. And I had an invitation. I need to – I don't know if – Honestly, I feel terrible about this. I had an invitation to go to Peru to the circus, uh-huh. and I had every intention of going to Peru to the circus, and I totally forgot about it this week, and I can't go tonight, you. and I leave tomorrow for Iowa. I but, think Kevin made it out there. You didn't make it out there? All your grandiose gestures did, from Jeremiah Johnson and everything? Yeah, Kevin had a picture on, on Twitter last week. He no, said, I'm he here. Was, I'm he, here. He was just driving north to vacation, Oh, right? well, he was still in the area. Well- I got in at 2.30 in the morning, Sunday night, from Toronto. And then, so Monday, admittedly, I was totally out of commission. Man, I, I slept basically all day Monday. Uh, and then Tuesday and Wednesday, I, I had stuff going on. I, I totally forgot. I completely forgot about it, to be honest with you. Because this week, th- this stretch, see, you wouldn't know this, Mark, because you take, you work half weeks. But <laughs> I wish. Um but you know, when when you go three three races, three straight weekends, uh-huh. it, it all runs together. It's very difficult to keep your week straight. Um, but nonetheless, good morning to you on a Thursday, Jake Quarry, Mark Dyke, and the other voice you heard, Kevin Bowen on vacation, Sam Fritz filling in on the big board. Lot to talk about this morning, including probably the topic du jour, which I guess will be a nice deviation from uh, Jonathan Taylor discussion. Is that of Jarris Walker? That that news coming mm-hmm. out yesterday, I I feel like. I feel like, Mark, this isn't a huge deal. Sure didn't but sound it? like it. No, uh, so for those unfamiliar, uh, Woj tweeted out yesterday, uh, Indiana Pacers forward Jairus Walker, the eighth pick in the 2023 NBA draft, underwent a minor procedure to remove loose bodies in his right elbow, sources tell ESPN. Walker's expected to be fully recovered for the start of training camp in September. So, and, and according to, like, Scott Agnes, who we'll have on at 830, uh, this was an injury that he got in March that they were aware of and basically didn't sound like, you know, obviously overly too concerning that he played in summer league or anything like that. He So he didn't get the injury in summer league. It was something that he had gotten in March. And uh, 
yeah, so loose <clears throat> loose bodies. I'm assuming that's kind of like bone chips, maybe or something. I'm not sure what loose bodies entails. Do you? That would be my that would be my assumption. What you said, uh, cartilage, maybe. Yeah, but I, sound I mean, sound. I mean, minor surgery is surgery that's not for me or you. Um, but seems like yeah, seems like pretty routine cleanup. Here, here is the only. And I'm very hesitant to say this. I'm simply playing like other side of the coin devil's advocate, okay? The only concern I would have about this, no matter how minor it would be, Jarris Walker is how old? 22, 21, younger than that. I don't have to look off the top, I don't know off the top of my head. Jarris Walker is... Well, that didn't tell me anything. That just, uh, okay, September 4th, 2003. So there you go, 21, roughly. Excuse me? Or tw- what did I say? No, 20. Excuse me? What? 19? Yes. 20? My math He's is 19 bad. years my old. Math, my math is bad. You called at 640. I thought you were going to say, hey, sucker, I'm not coming in. I won the Powerball last night. Boy, wouldn't that be great. Did anybody hit it? Somebody in California, and I saw the convenience store that they won it at, and it was just a... Uh, I mean, it was like, yeah, that person's never going back in that that restaurant, that convenience store ever again. They had like a helicopter outside, like California had a helicopter shot, live shot. This is the where the the Powerball was hit. I'm like, you really need to bust out the helicopter to show a convenience store? I told you when, and I say this every time. Whenever it's over like 500 million, I always say to the person selling me the ticket, if I win this, I will give you X amount of dollars, mm-hmm. and. I bought a ticket in a small Indiana town. You got to you got to buy them in the small Indiana towns. I told you that, and I told the woman if this hits, I'll give you five million. And I give her a ton of credit here. She said, "I wouldn't be able to take it." I said, "Why?" And she goes, "Well, it's against the rules if you work here to take money from the lottery." I, said, and I say, "When when's your shift end then?" <laughs> I mean, let's do this off premises. Well, not only that, but I don't know about you, but I'm thinking if somebody just gifts you five million you're probably done at the gas station, right? I would imagine so. I mean, I can respect the work ethic. Uh, the one-time cash payment, $558.1 million. So that's um, – you could take $1.08 billion, which is paid out over, what, 30 years? I don't think – can you bequeath lottery winnings? I have I don't no th- idea. I don't think you can. I don't think you can. And so I, you got to take the 558.1 and then – I would assume there's taxes taken out of that, so you're still looking at probably 300 million after everything. I yeah, you could still give that to me, and yeah. I would be like, oh darn it. But it's what I was going to say about Jarris Walker, he's 19 years old. I'm simply saying this: if you were to point out devil's advocate, at 19, if you're already requiring surgery, what is your body going to be like when you are 29 years old and have been playing 82 NBA games? a year for nine straight seasons. That that would be the only thing that would give me pause. And that is absolutely, Jake, shut the hell up. Stay in your lane. You're not a doctor. I, I get it. But there are certain players that, and this may be it. It we may He may turn out to be the, you know, the Cal Ripken of basketball. I'm about to sneeze, Mark. <laughs> I can tell. It looked like something was happening. It's probably because you have like the brightest light 
There it is. Why, why do you have a light? The, the spotlight on me in this place right now. You have like ten, like all the way turned up. Well, your star, star shines so brightly that, that we just, then why do we need like to four see the different shine. spotlights on me right now? I know it is where those speakers are lined up, where like one is completely boxed out and there's one that's just right. In like your, I could right wear sunglasses iris. right now in here. Uh huh. It's it's making me want to sneeze. But at any rate, uh, that would be the one thing we don't know. But at 19 years old, if you're already having like minor surgeries. Surgeries sometimes can be like caution flags in racing. They breed others. Mm-hmm. That'd be my only hesitation. And, and I mean, listen, we know of players that it goes both ways with. I mean, you know, Sam Bowie probably when he first had surgery, people were like, oh, it's just a little minor thing on his knee. Jonathan Bender was never healthy. Once it showed itself, it just never got right. So that's your hope is that that is not the case. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think too. I didn't think that much into it. I mean, I saw minor surgery, right elbow, and I was like, oh, okay. And then it says, well, still fully recovered and expected to start training camp. Like if it, it would have said expected to be ready for the start of the season, then I would be like, oh, okay, that's a little more concerning if he'd missed training camp and preseason and all that stuff. But the fact that it seems like he'll be ready ahead of training camp, I'm like, okay, well then maybe that is pretty. That does sound pretty minor. Like there's not a big rehabilitation process or anything like that. So. Uh, that's according to Woj again, removing loose bodies in his right elbow. That's what that's what the report was last night. So we'll see what happens with Jairus Walker again. Scott Agnes will come up at eight o'clock to talk a little bit about that and just overarching uh, Pacers storylines that were kind of in the lull period of the NBA season. And then we have Rick DeMulling at eight o'clock and we have Zach Kiefer at nine oh five. That's the guest list going this morning. Uh, Rick DeMulling, I'm curious to talk about with him just what the mentality is as a player right now. You know, you know, oh, you're yeah. getting ready for camp. Do you sleep every day just to get your body rested? I mean, what is the, you know, Edron James, you know, saying like, hey, I looked forward to it because I knew that it, w- it was time to get going and play football again. You just want to play football. But I-, I would think as a player, you probably see camp as one of two ways. Do you remember the excitement of the first day of school? Yes. How long did that last? Uh, when the as soon as the bell rang, I go, oh, no, this is we're in for day one here. This is this is a long process. Yeah, I mean, there hey, was... there's some friends I know, this and that and stuff, and they're like, hey, look at this new backpack. This trapper keeper's pretty sweet, right? What's for lunch day? Oh wait, we have math now. Boo. When did trapper keepers go out? I mean, obviously now with computers. I mean, I mean that seemed like a flash in the pan. So maybe like three or four years. Like flash might... in the pan. Yeah. Trapper keepers, when they go out, what do you mean? Like when they go out of style? Well, flash in the pan means they were only in vogue for like two years. I would say that's probably on brand. I think I had a trapper keeper for like two years, and everybody's like, three ring binders, that's what you need. No. The trapper keeper brand is what you're talking about with yeah, the little but, Velcro. But, but trapper keepers were, how do I word this? Trapper keepers were not a flash in the pan. The The, the lifespan of which you as a person have an interest in it is only a flash in the pan relative in your life. Maybe that's what it was, because that was like right in my, I was like first, second grade situation, I think. I yeah, remember that, I thought I, mean, I had a sweet one, but it looked like Windows 95, like screensaver with like the pipes going all over the place. That's I mean, what mine looked like. Like a Dan Trapper Flash's keeper t-shirt. still around. Sam Fritz, do you know what a Trapper Keeper is? Uh, yeah, I'm aware of them, but I do think I'm more on the mark side of these things were, were really only, uh, you know, upbeat for about four or five years. Well, that's like you guys saying... Tough skin jeans were like, well, crayons were only big for like a four year period. Not well, yeah, Cray- I mean, crayons you need all the time. You get what I'm saying. I don't know what, what'd you say? Okay. Tough skin jeans? What are those? Okay, what I'm saying to you is this 
the Trapper Keeper folder has been around for 45 years. You only use it for a three-year window of your life, but to say that that means that they were only in vogue for three years in the American culture is incredibly, like, myopic. (laughs) I didn't mean to offend you. No, I'm just saying. So the Trapper Keeper folder is popular with children between the ages of probably first and sixth grade. That's the that's the boy when, six seems bold. When they were popular. Now, in the laptop era, those are probably totally null and void. Kids don't have like math papers anymore and you know the trapper keeper purpose. But Mead, I believe, made the trapper keeper. And if I had to guess, I would say that they were in the American market from nineteen seventy to probably I don't know, two thousand. Uh, right. This is Wikipedia. So take, take this with a grain of salt. Popular with younger students in the United States and part of Latin America from the 1970s to the 1990s. Yeah. Okay. So hardly a flash in the pan. Well, again, yeah. Like you said, flash in the pan for your childhood. Like where you're just like, oh yeah, I had that for like two years. What happened to that thing? It's like my pog collection. Did you have like, did you have a speaking spell? You probably didn't have that because you had computers. Uh, no. I mean, I was 85 was when I was born. So I think we had that. That was still at the tail end tail end of the uh, before the computer boom but nonetheless back to the point if I, you yeah, are, I don't even know how we got on i'm confused. well the first day of school like you're super oh, yeah, excited yeah. in the beginning to find out you know like who, who's whose class am i going to be in you know what teacher did i get what's my schedule you have like back to school night where your parents go i think at, at eastwood they had an ice cream social it's where you could like meet the kids in your block you know whatever yeah. and then it probably is Probably two weeks before you get you really, to be honest with you, you're like, okay. I mean, because the first week you're learning your schedule. You still don't have, you don't really have homework yet. You're getting the syllabus, if you will. I mean, to use a college term. It's week two once the homework starts rolling and you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah, when the first project is coming due and you're like, oh no, what are we doing here? So I wonder if from an NFL training camp standpoint, if it's, you know, you're, you're excited to get together as a group, whatever else, until like. The two a days and you know whatever. If when do you hit the wall where you're just like okay, let's get this over with? And it is different than it used to be. I oh, mean, yeah. I, you know the recent. I mean, Rick DeMulling's era. It was yeah. like guys rolling in with pillows under their arms and moving into the dorms and the whole deal. And now it's like, you know, yeah, you got to be at Grand Park for two hours each day. Well, and uh, yeah, and that's that's another thing I'm curious about is what his what are his thoughts? You know, because he grew up and practiced in the old you know. The old training camp days where it was two a days and you're in the sweltering heat for hours and hours on end. Now it's like a two two hour session, then that's it. Bye, see you later. And the the amount of training camp sessions is dramatically down and all that stuff. So I'm curious to see if he feels like this new collectively bargained like process of training camp is good for the player or if it's bad as far as prepping them for the season. So I've got some questions about that with Rick. Which again, he'll join us at eight o'clock. Scott Agnes, eight thirty, Zach Kiefer. 905 plus we have indiana state and wwe fast lane tickets to give away as well so kind of a pretty pretty loaded show i'd say uh hey jake my nine-year-old daughter used a trapper keeper last year that's cool see okay so they're still they're still there i see we haven't done we haven't done the school supply situation yet we haven't gone to like meyer or anything and picked all this stuff up but it's coming my my daughter starts first grade in like jeez like three weeks isn't that crazy I would hate this new schedule if I was a student. I mean, just give me the extra, take away the extra week of spring break and fall break and just give it, add it into my summer, please. 
I'd rather go at late August than have an extra couple weeks of spring and fall break. Because that's what it is. I mean, I recall, like for us, I think it was from, I think we started, we got out of school like right after the race. So like right at the beginning of June and we went back at Labor Day. Yeah, that was that was my schedule as well. And now it's like August 2nd, they start. I'm like, August 2nd? They just went on, they just finished like early June. It's like barely two months of... Uh, Summer vacation, like well, they get the they get an extra week of fall break and an extra week of spring break. Well, uh, give me those weeks back, please. I'll take them any. I'll take them in the summer. Uh, the Reds got back on the winning side of things last night. About time, right? Yeah, it was not looking pretty. I, I was curious, like when we come back on Monday and Kevin's back, is is there going to be a Reds win since he left? But yeah, they got it done yesterday. Uh, thank God, because yeah, that was what almost a seven game losing streak. They snapped it, so they beat the Giants three to two. Uh, got back in the winning side of things. Uh, I think. Most of the NL Central won yesterday. Was the, the Phillies won. The Cardinals won. The Cubs won. Did the Pirates win too? The Phillies aren't in the NL Central. Not the Phillies. I'm sorry. The, the Brewers beat the Phillies is what I meant to say. Um, yeah, the Pirates won. So it was a clean sweep in the NL Central yesterday. Everybody won. We are two hours and 43 minutes away, Mark, from something that you probably didn't think was going to happen around here for a while. Uh, something okay. that, like, most cities enjoy and... Indianapolis has usually does not. Maybe I'm wrong, but but it feels like Indianapolis does not. Would you like to guess? Two hours and forty minutes away. Two hours and forty three minutes, aside from the end of this show for the day, uh, which, mo- uh, which oh, most people celebrate. Is this? I think I saw that. Is this the Colts unveiling something? The Colts are unveiling an alternate uniform today mm-hmm. at ten uh, ten a.m. Right, right, right when our show hits its peak, ten ten a.m. Are we guessing that it's going to be an all black uniform? I, I I don't know. Did you see those Cleveland Browns ones though? Cleveland Browns unveiled one, all white helmets, all white jerseys except for like the middle, the numbers and stuff were like a brown with like orange, orange border. They're pretty sweet looking. I'm curious if the Colts are going to be bold like that or if they're going to have kind of like a throwback. Or, well, they, or here's something. the thing: it doesn't matter what the Colts come up with, they cannot, they cannot top. The best has already been released. Which one's that? The best alternate uniform has already been released. Oh, it was the uh, the cream sickles in Tampa? Nope. Oh, those are good. Those would be second. Those what would, would it be? be? Second. I'm trying to think what other ones have been released. Oh, the Seahawk blues. The greatest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The greatest color scheme logo in NFL history. The original era Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, those are pretty sweet. I saw, I saw Geno Smith rocking that yesterday. I was like, yep. Silver helmets with the mm-hmm. like kind of lime green and, and royal blue striped Seahawk. I mean, that's here's the thing. What do I always, always, always say? A huge part of sports is nostalgia. Oftentimes when you're rooting for a team in sports, you're not even rooting for your team in that season to win as much as you are trying to reawaken the – fever you had for that team as a child celebrating it with your dad or your brother or whatever it might be you're trying to recapture that emotion and the same is true of uniforms why invariably you ask anybody you ask a 70 year old guy hey what do you think of uniform well uniforms are nice but they're not like the one i'll tell you the beautiful ones were back in the 60s okay well you were 10 Mm -hmm. 
You ask somebody my age in their 50s. Well, I mean, they're cool, but the, the best would by far were the ones in the 80s. Yeah, I was 10. On and on and on, yeah. right? I mean, the NFL pencils. Can we get the NFL pencils oh, back? Oh, that, that, that was a school supply list power ranking number one. You needed to have the NFL pencils. They were awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are great. I, do you think you could still p- buy, like, an original sleeve of them with, like... Oh, I'm sure you can. Of course, Oakland Raiders wouldn't be, you know, that was back. But, like, a Baltimore Colts NFL pencil? Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Do they still exist? I'm I'm sure the NFL pencils exist, but they're they're modern day ones and everything. I'm curious. Did you ever have the one team that like you were like I can't use that? Oh, the Packers one. I snap in my hand. Seriously, take that. I don't need that one. Yeah. What am I going to use the Packers one for? I don't know. I mean, picking my ear. At least the, 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 the did you notice as a Bears fan the Packers seem to be a bigger eraser because that seemed to be what it did to you. <laughs> Hilarious. I'm just saying. Yeah. No. That, there's a reason why that 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 one got snapped. Uh, I'm looking right here. There's a the St. Louis Cardinals. I think that was one when I was a kid. It was like who wants the St. Louis Cardinals, the big red or the football Cardinals as they're known in St. Louis. NFL team pencils, eighty five dollars here on eBay. Are you serious? Yeah. Twenty eight teams. So they're that's old school. Eighty-five bucks. Eighty-five dollars. Would you use them? I. I mean, if you're spending eighty-five dollars, the most expensive pencils of all time. If that's the case. I mean, they're not as good as the trusty pencil pops. Pencil pops. What are those? Did you never play pencil pop? Oh, pencil. I thought that was a brand. You said the pencil pops. Trust- yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be busting those out for the pencil pop. Trusty was the brand in pencil pop because it had a buoyancy about it. Now, when you played Pencil Pop, did you take the eraser out and then clamp down the, the silver boundary around it to use it as of a course. weapon? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it was like battle bots for pencils. <laughs> and the teachers would always say, Stop we found, it! We found broken pencils in the toilet. Please stop. <laughs> Which is pretty understandable. Like, in, in retrospect, it's like, how many school plumbing systems were screwed up by broken pencils in the septic tank? Probably a lot, right? This eBay listing has one vintage early 90s pencil unused. You get your choice of, of options here. You can either get the Saints, the Falcons, or the Giants for $6.50, one pencil. <laughs> what, what, what Those are you... the ones I had, though. I'm looking right at them. That's bringing me back now. The I... Saints, Falcons, and Giants, though, you could just buy a brand-new pack. You're, you're fine. I know. Uh, yeah, they it really... would be the St. Louis Cardinals or the Houston Oilers or the Baltimore Colts. I mean, those would be the ones in demand, right? They got the old Eagles font right here. God, those are sweet. Uh, those pencils. <laughs> See, I told you. Anything from when you were 10, you're like, uh-huh. it's the greatest thing ever. That the uh, starter jacket. You had to Warren the starter Township jacket. starts school next Thursday. That is wild. That That's crazy to me. Uh, hey, Jake, we're about the same age. School started before Labor Day around August 22nd. It depends on where you went to school. I'm telling you right now, in Washington Township, it was after Labor Day. They I know, a, because my birthday is September 3rd. Yeah, this whole tiered schedule or whatever they call it, it's a new thing, and I'm not a fan. Not a fan. <laughs> my daughter's like, wait, when is school? Uh, like, in two weeks. It's crazy. I, I'm telling you, like... It's got to be what it feels like as an NFL player. That's why Rick DeMolling is going to join us at 8 o'clock. Give us not only a perspective of what it's like as a player, what goes through your mind, but also what to anticipate from the Colts this year, including the position that he played being a key one, a key area for the Colts. And we're going to get – I'd like to pick his brain a little bit on how you build a line still as the Colts are trying to do. That's going to be a key position, especially with Anthony Richardson. 
there might be something going on in the NFL that forecasts Jonathan Taylor. We'll get into that coming up in just about 10 minutes. But Scott Agnes joins us at 8.30 as we talked about Zach Kiefer at 9.05. We'll come back, get you caught up on what happened overnight in the world of sports. Good morning to you on a Thursday. It's Kevin Aquari, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Uh, the big story, locally at least, is that that we were talking about earlier. The Pacers news coming out yesterday that Jarris Walker, the first-round pick of the Pacers, had a minor, quote-unquote, minor surgery for his right elbow for what, loose particles? Is that? Loose bodies. Loose bodies. I would assume you are correct. That means either some sort of, like, bone spur or, you know, that would be the first thing you would think, right? Yeah. Especially in the elbow area. Cartilage of some sort. Uh Uh, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. But uh, it is not expected to impact the availability of their lottery pick when the Pacers' season gets underway, but certainly something at the age of 19 to keep an eye on for Jarrett Walker. Major League Baseball yesterday, it was the Pirates over the Guardians 7-5. Cute fella over the Dodgers 8-5. Cardinals over the Marlins 6-4. The Athletics, Kevin's Athletics getting a win over the Red Sox 6-5. Brewers over the Phillies 5-3, but the big story that had the press is stopping, the Reds finally getting off the schneid. They beat the Giants 3-2 yesterday. Ellie De La Cruz does continue to struggle a little bit. Maybe it's because I jinxed him by making fun of that tweet about his bat velocity. Maybe. Maybe maybe they were right. Maybe they're right this That's whole right. time. Trade him. Uh, Cubs over the Nationals, 8-3. It was the Tigers over the Royals, 3-2. And the Padres blanking the Blue Jays, 2-0 yesterday in Major League Baseball, amongst other scores. Did the Indianapolis Indians, are they in town, Mark? No, they're at the they're playing Iowa right now oh, in Iowa. I should go to the game. When how long are they there? Six game stretch. You can make it. Are they going to be in Iowa? Yes, six, all weekend. Yes, six game series through through Sunday. They're not playing six games in Iowa. Yes, they right? are. Yes, are it's a serious? six game road trip. Yes, minor leagues are pretty much all seven game series now. A six game series. That's by the way, it feels like I have a. You've you got some the, loose bodies in your elbow? What are you doing? I have tendonitis under my elbow. My buddy Mike Stevens, St. Vincent Sport Performance, greatest trainer ever, um, did some scraping on it, but it feels like now there's some loose bodies. Better get that checked out before Don't you hit the Iowa. And that's my right elbow, as a matter of fact. You notice that? Boy, get Woj on the phone. <laughs> I'm just saying. Breaking news, right? Yeah. So, uh, maybe I'll check out the Indianapolis Indians on the road. Should I? I wear, would do that, I've yeah. got a tribe hat. I can go and just be like the obnoxious fan. Why change now? Excuse me? You heard me. Uh, also, <laughs> on the basketball court, the Indiana Fever got back in the win column, thankfully. Uh, they snapped like an eight-game losing streak. They beat the Washington Mystics 82-76. to Kelsey Mitchell, 18 points, uh, led the Indiana Fever to victory. So there you go. And in college sports, the story involving Northwestern continues to kind of grow, if you will. Uh, ben Crump, who is a civil rights attorney that is now potentially going to represent up to 15 athletes in football, baseball, softball, Word of volleyball as well, claiming that Northwestern had a culture and an atmosphere that was conducive towards psychological and physical abuse, also that of the sexual nature in Northwestern athletics. Yeah, there's an article in the Tribune from a former quarterback at Northwestern said that basically during training camp they had to barricade their doors so that other teammates didn't come in and try to do some very lewd and disgusting acts to them in the middle of the night with like a group. It's really bad. Really bad and very disappointing. I used to work at Northwestern and to hear those allegations. Did you really? Yeah. Right out of college, I got a job um, kind of doing like ticket sales and helping during game days and everything like that. And seemed like Pat Fitzgerald got, you know, interest in the football club back and be like, hey, he's one of us, this and that. 
and hear all these allegations and all that stuff. It's just truly disappointing and really just sad and everything. And I don't know what's going to happen with that program because they've got issues all over the board between the football situation, baseball. They had a cheerleading scandal a couple seasons ago. So there's a whole lot of mess at Northwestern. And the challenge, too, for Northwestern is going back. You know, when I was, I mean, for, for years, for the vast majority of Northwestern's lifetime as an athletic department, it was beyond the basement of the Big Ten. And now, you know, it had some relevance athletically, and one would think, understandably so, if this was going on, that that's going to put them right back to the priority of being, you know, as it's always been, a great academic institution and not necessarily one that you think about athletically. Rick DeMullen going to join us in 25 minutes. Something that happened yesterday in the NFL, could it have impact on the Colts? We'll explain on the other side. It's Kevin and Corey, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. You are listening to Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 20 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. By the way, I am compelled anytime I hear Huey Lewis in the news to say this. Uh, when I worked at the cigar store in Broderpool, my, my boss, Joe Moran, great dude, his brother Mark was a, a, still is, prominent musician in Indianapolis, but they had a pretty successful band in the early 80s and opened for Huey Lewis a couple of times. And this goes along with other stuff that I've just read over the years. Apparently, Huey Lewis, amongst the world of musicians, is like the two other musicians and that kind of thing, the absolute nicest dude ever. That's always good to hear. They said that Joe told me that they were playing once. The Late Show was the name of his brother's band back in the early 80s. They opened for Huey Lewis, I I think like in Bloomington or something. And they got done, and they were breaking down their equipment, and they turned around, and Huey Lewis was, like, helping them load their truck. And he at first he thought, well, he's just trying to get us out of here so they can take the stage. Mm-hmm. And said he could not have been a nicer guy, and then literally, like, every, like, once a year, they'd get a phone call from Huey Lewis. Hey, just want to check in on you guys. See, you know, you got any new gigs going? You need any help with anything? Like, could not have been a nicer guy. Nice. Yeah. That's always good to hear. Uh, so Sam Fritz is playing songs, by the way. Now, the song or the album was released this week? It's both, but that specific one was the song was released this week. So that was off of four. So some of them, the album was released this week in the respective year which it came out. Some of them, I'd say two of them are album. The rest of them will be a song. Um, yesterday, it's an interesting song that's being sung by Saquon Barkley of the New York Giants. Oh, can we play that one? I don't think we can play that one on air. Um, Saquon Barkley is one of the trio of running backs from yesterday that we talked about, Mark, that there was question about whether or not they would, you know, they became free agents. Franchise tag is going to be in play, and certainly in Saquon Barkley's case, it is. But this interesting phenomenon of the running back being devalued in the NFL, even though Barkley is, I mean, he's probably a better player, one most would say, than, and Jonathan Taylor is a wonderful player. I think Barkley's the better, the more versatile back amongst the two. Both are incredibly talented don't get me wrong uh but Barkley did a podcast Saquon Barkley recently and I'm looking for the name of the podcast to to give it credit I guess uh the money matters podcast he appeared talking about the the deadline to get signed for a new tender which the Giants and Barkley could not come to an agreement and Barkley was asked about whether or not he could possibly sit out this year. 
Now, if he sits out this year, he cannot be fined. This is a different situation than Taylor because Taylor is under contract until the end of the season. But could it be a foreshadowing, so to speak? Barkley had the following to say, quote, my leverage is I could say blank you to the Giants. I could say blank you to my teammates and be like, you want to sh- you want me to show my worth? You want me to show you how valuable I am to the team? I won't show up. I won't play it down, and that's a play I could use. Anybody knows me knows that something I want to do is uh, – I'm sorry, knows that's not something I want to do. Is it something that crossed my mind? I never thought I would ever do that. But now I am at a point where I'm like, I might have to take it to this level. Am I prepared to take it to this level? I don't know. End quote. The point being, if he's not going to be fined for missing camp and he is only then fined of money taken away from the franchise tag, which is just over $10 million, and Barkley wants to do that to show his value, when we talked to Edron James, what did he say? Edron James said, I think all the running backs need to stick together. Mm-hmm. Take emotion out of it. Right. That's also what he said. So if that's the case and all the running backs need to stick together, is Saquon Barkley setting an example that Jonathan Taylor himself would be willing to go into of, look. I mean, Jonathan Taylor once again, the Colts can franchise tag him. The Colts can franchise tag Taylor or any player up to three consecutive seasons. Problem is, in the way the franchise tag works, you are then given the salary that is the equivalent of the top five, the average, I'm sorry, of the top five players at your position. You get that. That's the money you get. Works out to just over $10 million for Saquon Barkley if he's tagged this year. That's what Pollard was tagged right. at $10 million. So, if Taylor is franchise tagged, that's fine. But you can and you can franchise tag. You can renew that twice. You can franchise tag a player up to three consecutive seasons. But it increases by twenty percent per season. So you'd go from ten million to twelve million to fourteen and a half million. You know, et cetera, et cetera. So one would think the Colts would back away after the first year or two if they can't come to a long term deal. The last player to sit out an entire season, Le'Veon Bell, who since then, by the way, has apologized to the Steelers organization and the fans for letting them down. And he was never the same when he did it either. I would think that that would be a difficult position to come back from. You know what I mean? At one point, you're like, oh, well, then he's well-rested. He's he's not banged up or anything like that. But you also miss, you know, you miss all those reps and all that stuff. And I think, I I don't recall, he sat out that season and Le'Veon Bell was never the same. So that's a, that's an interesting way to take it. It also is interesting too, because obviously Saquon Barkley wants to stay with the Giants. I would assume the Giants would like to have Saquon Barkley back. If you put up on the if you put up like who's the best player on the Giants offense, Daniel Jones or Saquon Barkley, everybody's going to pick Saquon Barkley. So he's the bi- the better player regardless of position. It's just that the position he plays is considered a non premium position at this point. But I'm curious if you think it would have behooved the Giants to just give them the extra couple million dollars and avoid this whole headache. Because now you've got an, a obviously frustrated Saquon Barkley, and we haven't even gotten to training camp yet. Imagine if this drags out, like, not just through training camp, but through the whole season. Should they have just ponied up and said, here's an extra $2 million on top of your salary, you know, let's two-year extension or something. It was just, let's just avoid this whole headache. The difference between Saquon, Saquon Barkley and Jonathan Taylor is how they were acquired. 
and where they were acquired. What was Saquon Barkley, the third pick in the draft? Yeah. So, or was he second? Oh, that's point, been, point being second or third. Yeah. Point being, clearly, when they drafted Saquon Barkley, the thought was he was going to be an epicenter of their offense. He was the second pick in the draft. Now I know that obviously Daniel Jones was a high pick as well. Saquon and, and was maybe, the second overall pick behind Baker Mayfield. And when they drafted Saquon Barkley, they may not have known or had the vision that Daniel Jones was going to morph into. And we don't know yet. You know, the, the, the Giants are a glimpse of a three-year head start on the Colts. Because Barkley, when they drafted him, and Jonathan Taylor was not drafted by the Colts, thought of as being like, this is our epicenter offensive piece. But he is right now. and But the Colts are looking at it going... Okay, so Jonathan Taylor's our epicenter piece or our best offensive weapon. Michael Pittman's a nice player, but our best offensive weapon is Jonathan Taylor. But that's dependent upon what happens with Anthony Richardson. Uh, are we eventually going to be a long ball type offense because of Richardson's big arm? Are we going to orchestrate more plays for Richardson to run the ball, whatever it might be? And then in that situation, would we have overpaid for Jonathan Taylor because we now have a multidimensional quarterback that devalues what we need out of Taylor. In Barkley's case, the Giants, I think, are probably saying to themselves, he's a wonderful player, and when we drafted him, he was an epicenter offensive player, but Daniel Jones in the last year and a half has started to develop to the point where we have an offense now that shifts more towards Jones's skill set and is, and is anchored behind what he can do. So, therefore, Barkley is not as important. Even though he's a critically important piece to the Giants, he's not as important as he would be if Daniel Jones was not somebody that could run the football. We saw – I mean, they they ran plays for him last year running the football. Talking mm -hmm. about Jones. Yeah. And and he has I, – I think the Giants – I realize very few people in the Indianapolis market care about the Giants, but we go based on – They got like, Paris Campbell. I care. That's right. Um but the Giants are in a unique situation because do they know for certain that Daniel Jones, to your point, to use your term earlier, is he a flash in the pan or is he, in fact, has he arrived and he is now a top, what would you say, he's a top 12 quarterback probably? Daniel Jones? Yeah. Oof, I, 15? Maybe 15. But, but showing improvement. I mean, yeah. you know, he was 20, 22 a year ago. I mean, he's starting to, I, I think they saw enough to say, okay, we can do things with this guy. Now, can they consistently do it? That's going to be the question. Yeah. But, Especially if you have Saquon Barkley off the field, and that, that weapon is taken away. And yeah, more that's pressure fair. on Daniel Jones. Well, that's and I think that's Barkley's point, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Take me off this offense. Now you got Matt uh, Daniel Jones and Darius Slayton and Paris Campbell coming at you. Matt Breida is their backup running back, by the way. Kind of a journeyman running back. But, you know, Barkley, I, I hate to say this for him, and I'm, I, I don't – it's not like I do a, a weekly New York Giants show. Locked on Giants. That's right. But. You'd just be yelling for two hours that they need to bring the old Giants helmets back. I never liked the old one. What, what are they doing? They I always forget. They still do the NY, right? They occasionally bust out the one that just says Giants across yeah, the helmets. The, the NY is actually the old helmet. Yeah. I mean, they, that was around, kind of, that was around, around before the Giants, right? Mm -hmm. But Saquon Barkley, durability has been an issue, right? 
Am I wrong? Yeah, in he, that? no, he suffered and I, I remember it vividly. It was like the second game of the season a couple years ago and he was playing the Bears at Soldier okay. Field and he planted his foot and got injured. And he played all year. sixteen games as a rookie. Uh started the thirteen games that he appeared in his second year. He did play sixteen games a year ago, so I, I mm-hmm. I'm mistaken. But you know, two games in twenty twenty, thirteen games in twenty twenty one, he did play all sixteen a year ago. His it drives me nuts when you pull up. I'm trying to just see his rushing total, uh-huh. and it's it's all averages. I'm like, can we can we just get the numbers, please? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like here, I'm looking at the NFL, just NFL.com. Uh, I have his stats in front of me. What do you What do you want to hear? He had 50 first downs. Okay, great. What? How many yards? What did he rush for last year? Yardage total? 13-12. Solid. 13-12, 10 touchdowns, a long of 68, only one fumble on 295 carries. What did he rush for as a rookie? Uh, 1,307 yards with 11 touchdowns. No, no fumbles at all. The no fumbles is key, too. He's ha- he has two career fumbles. One in 2021 and one in 2022. That's it. That's impressive. What about receiving yards? Receiving yards, what do you want, from last year? Yeah. Saquon Barkley had 57 catches for 338 yards, no touchdowns. So he's a 1,600-yard per season performer, basically. Mm -hmm. It's pretty solid. Yeah. Now, a better question would be Daniel Jones, in terms of his passing yardage, what has it gone up each year? Because are they starting to shift away from that? And is that their hesitation? Because I think that's that's somewhat where the Colts are, right? Are the Colts moving away from the running game to the air? We'll see. But the run, it's a catch-22, pardon the pun, because the running game develops the passing game. Yeah, so Daniel Jones last year had career-high passing yards of 3,205. He had 15 touchdowns to five interceptions. Uh, but he was sacked uh, 44 times, which was the second most of his career by one. So career-high passing yards, but you were also sacked a lot, and, I mean, you only had 15 touchdowns to five interceptions. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I think... And that was going into, he, he, they had declined his fifth-year option, so he was going into going into the season not knowing what his NFL future Hell. Can you imagine if you're an NFL general manager? NBA would be hard enough, but NFL general manager, you got 50-plus people that all think they need to get paid. Yep. You can only make like probably five of them happy to the level that they want, that they need, in their opinion, the money that they need or the money that they want. I mean, it would be a nonstop effort to try to keep guys happy. Yeah. Try not to tick off anybody every day you go I mean, the honestly, like just the, the, the battle of, of personalities and ego mesh and, and mold, I mean, it would be tough. Well, and you have to be like, obviously you want to be, you probably like be- these people that you're working with. You probably enjoy being around them. So then when you have to get into negotiations and maybe criticize them well, that's or what I like mean. that, it's probably got to be rough. I mean, just the, you know, you've got to, and agents would be even harder because here's the other thing that you that you lose sight of. How much of negotiations are about keeping the agent happy because you have other clients from that agent that are more important to you than the guy that you're dealing with? Yeah. And you know that. Your agent can't know that. But deep down, you're like, man, I've got to have conversation with this guy in 
two years over player B, which is a guy that I definitely want, and I can't have the agent upset or offended by me. I mean, it's it, it would be a tough conversation. Uh, easy conversation and presumably a fun one's next with Rick DeMulling. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. There are a few people that it more are more defined by sharp-dressed man than our next guest, who joins us on the Payless Stickers Hotline. Great hair also, by the way. Uh, Rick DeMoling joins us to talk about the Colts as they get set. Reporting on Tuesday, practice begins on Wednesday. And Rick, I'm going to begin right away with this, and thanks for joining us this morning. First off, I guess my first question would be, what the hell are you doing up this early? (laughs) Well, I just got back from a nice long trip, and I got to get back working out, so... The only time I can work out so my body feels good is when the kids are asleep. So, and the trip was where? Uh, we went to the Grand Tetons, Yellowstone, oh, and then Boise, awesome. Idaho. You know, and that's, I mean, that's obviously your neck of the woods, right? Because you grew up, you kind of, not the Pacific Northwest, but pretty darn close, right? Oh, yeah, I was in Washington, so we're the Pacific Northwest, and it was just great to get back and talk about God's country. It is beautiful out there. It is, man. I, I've always wondered this. Obviously, I know like in Seattle what that the winters are pretty mild, but when you get into like the Tetons area, the, the winters are probably pretty brutal, right? That, I think, yeah. I mean, they I've never been in the Tetons. This is the first time in the Tetons for me, but, man, it, they said it was up to six to ten inches of snow or feet of snow, excuse me. Whoa. So, yeah, it, it gets pretty crazy. Yeah, I, it is. I'll tell you what, if, if, if anybody listening has never been to Yellowstone or the Tetons area, it is – Gotta it, go. You do. I mean, it's 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 one of those places that I've always said there are a few places that look just like the pictures, and then you get there and you're like, yeah. oh my gosh! Like it, you could just sit and stare for hours. Like, and driving in that area is is funny when you're on the interstate because I think the time goes fast because you're just staring constantly. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I mean the the Tetons. That's what like a mountain should look like. I mean, rugged and just <laughs> you're right, beautiful. And then you're driving through Yellowstone, and you're just have your eyes peeled for any animal. I mean, we saw obviously bison everywhere, bear, elk. I mean, bald eagles. It was, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's pretty I mean, awesome. Has, yeah, the worst thing is just driving because I mean, it, driving kills my back, but it was worth it. Now, I'm curious. So you go on vacation, you come back, you're getting back in the swing of things. I would think that as an NFL player. This time of year feels like when you were a kid on the first day of school. You're excited to see everybody and get reacquainted at first, and then after a couple of days, reality kicks in, and you're like, man, this sucks. What is the yeah. mindset of a player at this point right now? If you are on the Colts roster, what's going through your mind? Did I do enough? <laughs> Holy crap, am I ready for this? Like the first two years, as a rookie, it's, you have no idea what to expect, right? And so you're just going in kind of blind, and you're just – you don't know anybody really yet. You know maybe a couple of people, so you don't have that familiarity with it. Like, oh, <laughs> but, man, are you going in just like, did I do enough? Oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. This is miserable. My first year was Mora's, Jim Mora's last year, and he was one of, like, the last, for the Colts, and he was one of the last, like, old-school coaches, and it was grueling. Um, I mean, you're down in – we were in Terre Haute at the time, and I, I promise you it feels like you're in, like, a, a bowl where there's no wind. It's just hot, humid, sticky, and zero wind. It's protected by trees and a little bowl. And um, but yeah, you're just hoping like I hope you don't die. That's kind of like that's how I felt. I'm like I coming from the Midwest or not from the Midwest, being on the West Coast, 
like you don't have humidity. So coming into this was just like, this is, this is crazy. What are we doing here? I got to ask, even though this isn't the topic of the conversation, Rick, but I loved more from a media standpoint, I loved Jim Mora, and I loved him. Oh, for sure. I, I talked to him probably two or three years ago, and he was wonderful. But I didn't play for him, and I know that he was—you know—he's military guy, right? So kind of old school. Um, I think he. I, my guess is obviously as a coach, he was demanding. But was the reward with the demand from him? You know, it, it was hard to say. So that was like I said, my rookie year was his last year, and we weren't very good. We were, I think, six and ten. Um, but like you said, it, he came with a great sound bites, right? I mean, there's some great stories oh, from leading up to that, that entire year that I look back and they're hilarious. But during the time, it was like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. And obviously with the reward, we weren't winning, so it's kind of hard to really say that. <laughs> that we so were you – I'm, I'm trying to think if it was his last year. I can't re- recall. Was that the playoffs yeah. year? Yeah, that was that year, right? The San Francisco yeah. loss? Yep. <laughs> Yeah, that was when so, yeah. Jim Mora decided to challenge Peyton Manning, and that didn't go so yeah. well. Um, nope. Did you ever, Rick, as a player, you know, you played, obviously you established yourself in Indianapolis. You played for the Colts, then you go to Detroit, and then, you know, back here, and then it ended, I think, in Washington. But did you ever go into a training camp thinking, I'm pretty solid here, or are you constantly head on the swivel looking for other players that might have surpassed you in the offseason? Uh, when I got to the Colts, obviously I didn't know what to expect, so I wasn't thinking. I, I was late seventh-round pick, so I'm like, okay, I know I'm expendable. Just do what I can to make the team. Second year, it looked like I was going to be the starter, so I, but I still wasn't solidified. But I would say like third and fourth year, I felt relatively comfortable. Um, and then up in Detroit, it was a disaster. My, my body went, my mind went, and so I wasn't performing. So that's when I was like, well, they can cut me at any time. Um, and then my last year in uh, D.C., it was literally like, okay, I'm doing this last year, and then I'm calling it quits. So I was kind of, like, prepared for anything. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, that's a pretty common thing for a lot of guys outside of guys that have been in it for, like, five years. Like, Quentin Nelson probably isn't looking over his shoulder, right, thinking, like, oh, who's going to replace me? Even though they had a down year, he's probably not thinking that. But, like, that's the vast majority of reality for the – or the reality for the vast majority of players like – Okay, who's coming to take my spot? How can I stay here? And so, like, yeah, there's, like, an anxiety there, I would assume. Can you elaborate on my mind went? Oh, yeah. I just was not mentally there in regards to, like, hey, this is what I have to do. I was in pain. I wasn't playing well. So, like, we always used to call it, like, you're you're in the tank, right? Your mind's in the tank. Your body's in the tank. You're just not – you're not there mentally or physically. Like, you're just kind of – trying to survive and can you tell when teammates are in the tank oh yeah like the body language just the way that they interact with you like how if they're standoffish if all they talk about is negative stuff so it's pretty easy to see and um, I mean it's not everybody who's in it but it's one of those things that is <laughs> it's pretty common so when when that happens though you know I would think that Rick Rick DeMulling is our guest I I, I would think that you Fifty percent of you is compassionate because it's a teammate and a fr- you know probably more often than not if it's a position player it's it's a friend, but at the same time maybe even frustrated because you need the guy to get out of the tank in order to make your job easier and to make the unit click. 
So h- how do you balance it? Whose job is it to go to that guy and go, look, man, what's going on? Or, or do you just let it naturally run its course? I think a little bit of both, right? I mean, because we've, in the old line room, anyways, you feel like you, everybody's been there at one point. You know, some people stay in it for longer. I mean, it could be something that you're in the tank for a day, you're in a tank for a week. So it's typically not something that you're in for an entire season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the O-line room in Indy was extremely close, and we would always kid with each other. And so we had that type of relationship where you could say, hey, man, what's up, and try to get you out of it. But ultimately it's up to the player to be able to get their mind right and to get back on track. It's Kevin and Quarry on this Thursday morning. Former Colt Rick DeMulling joining us right now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Rick, training camp was drastically different when you played uh, two-a-day practices, long hours in the heat. Now that's very different with the collective bargaining agreement terms. Uh, Do you think the reduced practices is a good thing or a bad thing as far as getting prepared for the season? You know, I think it's a a good thing because, one, it helps their their longevity of the player, it helps their body, and it helps them perform later in the season. Because if you're not beating it up right away, then it has a lot better opportunity to heal. Now, I do – I'm like, well, you don't have enough reps. And so then it comes down to the player and getting as many mental reps as I can, watching more film, and just – I mean, I, I got better when I didn't play by doing the mental reps. But if I didn't do my mental reps, then I was kind of screwed and didn't really know anything at that point. But I, I think it depends on how the player approaches it. If they are, like, really dialed in and doing it or just taking it as, like, hey, this is cushion easy, I can just get by and just figure it out later, then that's a detriment. But, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. If you're going to save your body, you, you need to do that because they perform better late in the season and have a longer career. When it comes to joint practices, did you have many joint practices when you played it? And if you did, did you find those as more beneficial than preseason games or just about the same? No, I we did. So we were up in or down in Tennessee. I can't remember what it was, first year or second year. Um, I loved it because you get kind of used to going to the same guys. Like, I mean – I knew what Josh Williams was going to do. He knew what I was going to do. But if we went against different guys, I mean, it, just the intensity, one, stepped up. And then, two, it was just better experience for everybody all the way around. Um, in regards to that being – I think it was better than a game because a game is just one off. Here you're kind of – you're going against the guys, I don't know, four or five days. I don't know if it's an entire week or not. Um, but, yeah, I felt that very beneficial and um, it helped everybody all the way around. Now – it kind of stunk because you're like, oh, crap, the intensity is stepping up. And you're really, during training camp, your mindset is survival. Can't um, be in the tank at, in the, at those days. Oh, no. You, I mean, you got you had to get out of the tank quickly or you're, you're heading home type of thing. And it was just a grind back then, right? I mean, I'm not saying that they don't work hard now, but I know, like, even the generations previous to when I was playing, they worked harder than we did during training camp, right? But it's just progressively gotten easier, not – not easy, but easier. I've always wondered, Rick, when those joint practices take place. I remember going, um, I think it was in Champaign, Illinois, probably just before you, but, uh, when the Colts and Rams did them. I mean, you know, they, and this year it's going to be the, the Eagles or the Bears. Who is it this the year? Bear, the, the Bears, Bears yeah, at I'm sorry. Westfield Eagles and Eagles. La- no, Eagles later, too. Um, but it, at any rate, do you think coaches talk to the other franchises coaches to say hey throw us this look like when we're out there doing something maybe not in a preseason game but during those workouts is there any design of reciprocity at all amongst the coaches to present looks that the other team requested because that's what they want to work against 
I got to, without knowing for sure, I got to think yes, right? I mean, they, both teams want to get better. There's no, no, if you lose the game or don't do well in practice, you're not going to get fired, right? So this is the time that they're going to be more apt to do that. They're not, that's not going to happen in a regular season game, obviously. But I got to think that happens, right? Hey, that's an easy thing. You talk to the D-line or the D coordinator from the other team. Hey, if you have a chance, if you can work on this while we're doing this, that would be phenomenal. And he would shoot that back. Hey, if we're, can we, you know, short yardage, can you work on this play? Um, I got to think that happens pretty regularly. Do you think that there is, Rick DeMulling, anything to read into uh, two parts for the Colts as they get set for training camp as a franchise? Is there anything in any way, shape, or form that you can read into or point to why the Colts have gotten off the slow season starts, I mean, it, you know, at the beginning of the year, and then secondly, the injury standpoint. It does feel like they have injuries more than other franchises, but maybe that's because I cover the Colts and we talk about it more than we talk about the Arizona Cardinals. You know what I mean? But can, can you touch on either one of those? Yeah, I got to think that it's pretty even across the board. Sometimes some teams do get the injury bug for whatever reason. I mean, a lot of it is just – just happens, right? You have grown 330-pound men running into each other and trying to hit each other as hard as they can. You're bound to get hurt, um, right? So I don't know if there's like a disparity and like the Colts get hurt more often than not. I, I think it's pretty common, you know, over a five-year span, pretty equal over all the entire teams. Um, so in that regard, no. And as far as like the slow start, I, I, that drove me crazy as a fan. Right, sitting there like, what is going on? These teams, like, I've, on paper, phenomenal teams, right? You have a lot of all-pro guys that have, you know, been all-pro in the past. You think that they're going to come out guns a-blazing. And I don't know if it was the organization just having, like, more of a low-key, you know, not a sense of urgency. Um, but I can't really speak into that for not being in the locker room or anything like that. I, I just it, – it just sucked as a fan. Just sit there and see, like, okay, you have all this talent but not producing early in the season – you know, it's not detrimental. You can still make the playoffs, but it does set you up for having to really fight and claw at the end of the end of the year. How intrigued are you, Rick DeMulling, by this year's? You know, we know the faces for the most part of the offensive line. There is clearly individual talent on the offensive line, but yet it has yet to gel to the level of cohesiveness of the lines that you were on. For example, how intrigued are you by this year's line, and what does a line do? to create that cohesiveness? Yeah, great question. Um, I am extremely intrigued. Obviously, so last year was a down year. The previous year, they were great. I mean, we're not that far removed from them being a phenomenal offensive line, strength of the team, and even like one of the best in the league. I don't know what could have caused last year. There's a, a multitude of reasons. Um, but I truly am excited to watch them play this year and watch them. They are going to be the reason why this offense goes this year, right? I mean, you have Anthony Richardson, who is a wild card in regards to what he can do. You have Jonathan Taylor. You put those two guys in an offensive line that is playing, they're going to, they could be pretty scary. Now, I don't know, you know, Anthony's um, much about him in regards to passing, but I mean, he's a freak athlete. So you get him running the ball, Jonathan running the ball in the offensive line, they're going to be pretty phenomenal uh, I think They're, they could be a pretty scary offense to play um, and it, uh, now I forget the next question that you said or the what the lead-in was well just you know exactly that I mean like what what sorts of things 
I mean, do you guys stay in touch as a line over oh. the course of the offseason, or maybe is it even better to kind of get away from each other in the course of the offseason to create that yeah. solidarity over the course of the year? Yeah, yeah really for us, um, what I remember the best thing that we did was just year together. Like not just in the O line room, not just at practice, but we'd go have dinners, go have you know, hang out together as much as possible. Obviously, a lot of people are married and they have their lives, but it was just that's for me doing things outside of football. And then I big proponent of like, as, even though it stunk going through training camp, going through something hard together really helps gel people together. I mean, it, it can fracture people as well, but it depends on what kind of leadership you have in that room. I mean, you could have, like, a horrible, horrible time in regards to, like, how grueling training camp is. But if you have the right leadership, it's it's almost enjoyable and it brings people together, right? Because you're sitting there, you're going through the same adversity. You're going through the same trials and tribulations, and that tends to bring people together. Now, it can fracture, like I said, if you don't have the right leadership to kind of pull you together. Um but, yeah, I think spending the time together is the way that you, you bond and the way that you trust somebody. It's Kevin and Query on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Rick DeMulling joining us for another couple of minutes. You mentioned it a little bit, Rick. Uh, Anthony Richardson, Jonathan Taylor. As a fan right now watching this team heading into camp, what are the biggest storylines that have your interest levels raised? It's going to be how many reps does Anthony Richardson get? Does he – Is he? I mean, I can't – I don't think he's starting out at number one. I don't know yet. Um, but, like, how is he understanding the offense? How is he taking command of the offense? And then the, what respect is he getting from the – I mean, because it, it, you're going to have to earn your respect. And I don't think he's the type of kid – like, I met him one time, and he was just, you know, looked me in the eye, shook my hands, and things that you look for. Um, however, he needs to earn the respect of the entire offense and of the team, for that matter. And that, all signs for me point to that's what he's doing. He's putting in the work. He's not, you know, showing up thinking that he's got it all together and he's not thinking that he's going to be giving it to him, right? I think that's where a lot of these young guys fall into when they have troubles early on is when they show up, think it's just going to be given to them. So I think you can just see how he interacts with the team and the team interacts with him. That'll be the big telltale sign for me. Rick, I don't recall whether or not – I mean, I'm sure that it was the case. I don't recall – any sort of like really big contract issues of, amongst teammates of yours when you were there. I mean, I, I'm sure it took place, but obviously when Peyton Manning was your quarterback, you know, and was well entrenched by the time you got here. So th th there you have piece A, and that everybody knew Edwin James was going to be the running back. Um, how do you handle it as a teammate when you have guys that you know are going through a contract negotiation or even dispute and you know that their best interest may be to detach a little bit from the team unit. How do you not like hold resentment there? At the end of the day, it's a business, right? It really, that part really sucks about the NFL because I grew, I grew up in college where it was, that's where you were. There's no, there was no transfer portal. There was none of that. So there was more like to me, a lot more loyalty. So that carried over like into the NFL, but then quickly you find out it's a business. Like you, you love the person, you're with the person, you, you want them to do what's best. You want everybody on the team to get paid as much as they can, right? I mean, that, that should be the mindset. It should never be, hey, they shouldn't get paid. That money should go here, here, and here. Like, you know, you want everybody to get paid as much as they can because it's such a short window to make a living in this, in this league. 
I mean, some people are blessed to play for 20 years, crazy like that. Some people are in and out in a, in a couple of months. So you want them to get paid as much as possible. And there's typically no animosity, at least in the O-line room, right? We were all for each other. And I, I can't speak for any other position group or any other team, but as far as the Colts in the early 2000s, it seemed like everybody was pulling for each other, right? And you knew who was probably going to get paid. We had some really high, big earners, and we had, like, a lot of role players like myself. I didn't. I knew I was not going to get paid the $15 million a year. That just wasn't my where I was. And so I think you're pulling for everybody, and that that's what makes a team better. All right, if you start sitting there having, like, this person shouldn't have got paid, then that starts crumbling from the inside out. And that, to me, shows zero leadership. Okay, speaking of leadership, Rick, I'm curious of this before we let you go. I want you to envision a situation back when you were a player in the Colts locker room. Rough game, things aren't going well, guys are sitting there staring at the floor, and one player steps up and goes, guys, like we got to get this together. Let's go. Let's rally. And everybody says, and everybody rallies behind that player. The natural, for people listening, the natural answer is going to be Peyton Manning because he was the quarterback, the face of the franchise, and, and arguably the greatest player to play the game. We know that. Aside from Manning, tell me the player, when I mention that scenario to you, that you recall or could envision seeing that people would be surprised by. Surprised by? Um, I mean, my first thought is Jeff Saturday, um, but I don't know if people would be surprised about that. I mean, he was he was fiery. He got after it. I mean, I, I love playing with Jeff. And um, the other guy would be Mark, Marcus Pollard, tight end. Um, he was pretty vocal. Let's get after it. But to be honest with you, it was a pretty, if that happened, we'd have to be something serious had to be going on because we didn't typically, even if it was one game, everybody kind of bounced back and knew, but um, that didn't happen too often. Uh, we were, had some pretty solid teams and it continued into the, in the mid two thousands there. So 2005, six, seven. Um, but yeah, that didn't happen too often, but I would say Jeff Saturday and Marcus Pollard. So what is life like for you between now and when you're able to sit down, enjoy a cold beverage, and watch the Colts? <laughs> really, it's just trying to – I have to do my functional exercises because my body is so beat up and trying to figure out that. So if I don't do my exercises, it's hard to get out of bed. But really, it's just trying to stay healthy as I, as I can. My wife's a, uh, an amazing health coach, so she has got me going in the right track. Uh, we own an insurance agency, so just trying to figure out life being a parent and a, and a husband. Well, we're happy that uh, you're still around. We look forward to talking to you over the course of the year, Rick. And welcome back from the Tetons. I certainly appreciate the time this morning. Absolutely. I'll be good and go Colts. Hair looks great, by the way. Rick DeMulling on the Payless Liquors Hotline. By the way, one thing I should elaborate on real quick before we get to the morning check down. Uh, when I mentioned Jim Mora went up against Peyton Manning, what I meant by that was that playoffs rant, people probably forget. The Colts were playing San Francisco. They had several turnovers in the game, including a couple of pick sixes to the Niners. And Mora had been riding Manning a little bit, who was still a relatively young player. And in that game, he came out and was like, I don't know who the hell we think we are turning the ball over four times. We threw four interceptions, three of them for touchdowns. You know, We're not going to win any games like that. You're not going to beat a junior college team. I mean, and he just kept going on about the, the, the errant throws. And he really went after Manning. And – I think it, it. a lot of people were like, whoa, like because Manning was, you know, on his way to becoming Peyton Manning, which he had already been since he was like a freshman at Tennessee. But um, 
it did not create a long-term divide between the two by any stretch, but it did temporarily create some some icy situations. But when Manning, Jim Mora was ultimately relieved of his duties because he was called in by Bill Polian, and Polian insisted that he fire Vic Fangio, who was the defensive coordinator. And Mora and Mora came out in that press conference because there was a lot of heat from Polian and the fan base and the everybody about the Colts' defense. And in that game against the Niners, when the season truly did unravel at that point, that was where they kind of went in the tank, to put it in those terms. Mora came out very defensive of the defense and started that whole playoffs rant by saying, well, let me start with by saying this. Don't blame that game on the defense. And he was standing up for his friend Vic Fangio. And at the end of the year, he was called in and told, you need to fire Vic Fangio. And Mora said, I'm not going to do that because our defense was perfectly – they played very well – for the players they have, Vic Fangio is a heck of a football coach. And Bill Polian said, well, either you fire him or you're going to get fired. And Mora walked in the press conference room, slapped the back of the wall, and said, you know, stuff just happens, just stuff. And then that was the – and he announced that he he had been fired because he refused to fire Vic Fangio. When Peyton Manning's Ring of Honor ceremony took place, uh, I actually interviewed Jim Mora that week leading up to it, and Mora had said – that he had called Peyton Manning because Manning had called to invite him to the Ring of Honor ceremony, which touched Mora very deeply, and Mora declined to go because he did not want to have an uncomfortable situation with Bill Pullian on a weekend that was designed to honor Peyton Manning. Hmm. So there is the the long-term answer on that. Time for a morning checkdown. The Morning Checkdown. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Streak is over for the Cincinnati Reds. They are back in the win column. 3-2 over the San Francisco Giants yesterday. The only problem is Milwaukee also won, so they gained no ground in the National League Central. It was the Orioles, cute fella, over the Dodgers, 8-5 yesterday. Cardinals over the Marlins, 6-4. The Red Sox were beaten by Kevin's Athletics by a final of 6-5. Diamondbacks, 5-3 winners over the Atlanta Braves. And the White Sox, 5-1 losers to the New York Mets. Cubs won two, just throwing that in there. Uh, Also, uh, speaking of the Cubs, the Iowa Cubs have taken the first two of their six-game series. Jay Guess, six games in the minor leagues. They defeated the Indianapolis Indians 7-1 to one yesterday. They play through Sunday, so if you want to get out there, I suggest you do so. Yeah, I might, I might actually I w- go I to the game. I would go if I were you. If I had the time, I would do it. i got to see what time we're done at the racetrack on Saturday. That's going to be a, a big part of it, right? Um, but maybe. We'll, we'll see. Jarris Walker, by the way, had surgery on his right elbow, the 19-year-old Pacer rookie, to remove, quote, loose bodies, right? Loose bodies. Loose bodies in his right elbow. Um Scott Agnes is going to join us coming up in just a couple of minutes, and that will be one of the main topics of discussion. And thanks to Rick DeMolling as well. On this Thursday, it's Kevin and Corey, 93.5107.5 The Fan. You're listening to Kevin and Corey on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Well, this one, this one I know. Little Len, steal my sunshine. That's certainly the case this morning with uh, very little, if any, sunshine. Very hazy this morning. Very foggy on this Thursday morning on Kevin and Query. But something that's a little more, we'll, we'll get a little less haze on it, is the current status of Jarris Walker. For that, we turn to the Fieldhouse Files and Scott Agnes, who joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Scott, good morning. How you doing? Hey, good morning, Mark. All right, so the Jarris Walker injury, for those who are maybe just getting in their cars and joining us, uh, Woj sent out a tweet 
yesterday that said Indiana Pacers for Jairus Walker, the eighth pick in the 2023 NBA draft, underwent a minor procedure to remove loose bodies in his right elbow. Uh, Walker's expected to be fully recovered for the start of training camp in September. So can you elaborate? What are loose bodies? Jake and I have kind of been thinking, is it like a bone chips or a cartilage situation? What What are loose bodies in the elbow? Yeah, it's essentially just things floating around there that can cause irritation that pop up from time to time. It's oftentimes not even like a constant pain or soreness, but you, you know, you might bump it on the table or bump it on the bus going over to the arena or battling in the post or it's just sore one day and it's just really stiff and not allowing the full flexation of that elbow, therefore directly impacting the shot and uh, you know, he didn't make any excuses about it, but now I look back at summer league where he shot just 34% and you got to wonder, all right, uh, I think we have a little causation here to probably what directly impacted his shooting stroke. So, so this injury was sustained in March though. So I'm assuming the Pacers were aware of it and they didn't think it could get worse for playing in summer league. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of those things I think oftentimes, even players might have in the off season and it just doesn't get out. It's just kind of a cleanup procedure, um, minimally invasive. Uh, it sounds like meaning, uh, you know, it might, they use a, a, a robotic scope, I think, go in there for about five minutes, it seems like, and then clean it out and then he's done. Um, so it's one of those things. Yeah. Teams are absolutely aware of, um, for instance, because he didn't even go through his pro day with his agency uh, back in May um, because of it. But, again, he, he went through the draft process, came here in, in early June, worked out for the team. So they were absolutely aware of it. Um, but it, it, it's something that I, it, it's definitely noteworthy and, and nothing minor because I don't believe any surgery is minor <laughs> because if you're, if you're going into your body, you know, there's something bad could happen. However, that said – uh, this is about as simple and straightforward of a of a procedure, a clean out as it gets. Scott, scale of one to ten, your level of concern. Uh, I'll put it at a one. My meaning, only meaning thing, very little. Yeah, my, and I don't disagree. I'm as I said earlier, I'm playing devil's advocate to an extent. My only thing is, he's 19 years old. So is that a is that a forecast of you know some guys at no fault of theirs some guys bodies are just prone to injury we have no idea if that's the case here but that would be my only concern is you know I think there's always you always have just a hesitation when you start thinking about names of the past that just couldn't avoid injury right although usually it's later in a guy's career but there are players Jonathan Bender who it starts early and you just never shake it. That would be my, am I being too cautionary or too pessimistic? It sounds a little too pessimistic for me as a guy who's just getting his career started. And to the, to the other thing is he's a bigger, a bigger forward, right? Six, 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 seven. What we're normally talking about are knees and feet. That's where that's, those would be red flags. If he has a, if he had like a cleanup procedure on his ankle, I'd probably be at more of a four just because of big man and feet. But I'm not sure of an NBA player I can think of whose career, you know, was impacted by, you know, an elbow. And I get your point. It's to the broader context of does one thing lead to the next, anything like that. Um, from what I know about his history, um, and as I'm still learning more, it's not, nothing, at least right now, that that is of too much concern. It's just worth noting. 
I'm curious, Scott, I know that we've talked to you about this, for the, but for those that are listening that might not have heard, uh, Scott Agnes is our guest, by the way, on the Payless Liquors Hotline from Fieldhouse Files. Sometimes, not often, sometimes, though, over the course of Summer League, there is a player that maybe was not thought to be part of the, you know, part of the mix that makes a name for themselves. There are also sometimes players that are thought to be certainties in the mix that you expected to see more from. Uh, anybody apply in either situation in your mind? I don't think so, only because the roster as it currently is is kind of set with who who is where. Now, there could be tweaks, for example. I still think they need to um, trade off one of the big men. You could maybe say the same in the backcourt as well after adding Bruce Brown. Um, but there were some encouraging things from a team perspective, a little bit from an individual perspective. I thought Andrew Nimhard crushed it, was just as solid and, and true pro as it gets. Uh, I think we all were saying after game one, yeah, he's too good to be playing here. He's good. Uh, and then Isaiah Jackson, I thought, had a lot of bright spots. For example, fans may not know he led the summer league in rebounds per game. I mean, yes, he only played uh, a couple of games, but getting a double-double, averaging 12 and a half, I thought that was uh, pretty impressive. On the other side of that, for example, Trace Jackson Davis, by the way, led the, in his two games with offensive rebounding. But um, I, I try not to take too much away from Summer League um, from my performance perspective just because a lot of times guys get outside themselves or asked to do more or try to feel like they should do more. Um, and I felt that a lot more with Ben Matherin this year. It felt like he, he wanted to insert, assert himself. He wanted to be the guy and got a little bit outside of what he is and what makes him such a productive player. Um, but then on the, you asked about, you know, would anybody else maybe crack the rotation or anything like that or be in the mix? I thought Mojave King played quite well, um, but there's just not a roster spot for him right now. I guess there is a two-way, but all, in, all considerations seem to be going um, for Kendall Brown, although I will say he, he kind of looks sluggish. Yet at the same time, this this guy just had significant leg fracture surgery after a stress fracture four months ago. So I'm not sure what the realistic expectation could be for a guy like him. Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files joining us on the Payless Liggers Hotline on Kevin and Query. Scott, I was at the Hendricks County Fair yesterday. I got home, and I saw on Twitter, Scott Agnes is live on YouTube. And so I checked it out <laughs> a little bit, and I saw you did like a 30-minute live podcast kind of thing. Uh, one of the things you talked about, you shed a little bit of light on what you think the status of T.J. McConnell is. For those who haven't listened or checked it out yet, uh, what do you think the future of T.J. McConnell is for the Pacers? Yeah, I appreciate you joining. I plan to do a, several more of those. I want to get into more of that that genre where it's beyond podcast. It's also video. But, no, I, I, I wrote when the Pacers signed Bruce Brown, I, I thought T.J. McConnell now for the first time became expendable. Uh, on this roster because you look at the number of players they have there in the backcourt and on top of that Bruce Brown's versatility offensively and defensively that in a crunch he could handle point guard and play it just fine among many other players I think on the roster so it's not like uh, they're looking to move on from him or anything like that but honestly more than anything if I'm TJ I'm sitting back and saying all right what is my future with this team I'm coming off a career high season I, I crushed it. Had an incredible year last year. Uh, shot 40% from three. Uh, most people didn't even think I was a great three-point shooter. Uh, you know, I, I would want to maximize my opportunity in, in my professional years right now while I'm having some of the best years of my career. So 
I, I got. I feel like TJ has got to feel like an odd man out right now and wondering what his status looks like going into next season. Scott, they stand where in terms of talking about the Pacers? They do or do not have an open roster spot? They do not have a true roster spot open of 15. They do have a two-way contract because oh, the league um, added one this year, moving from two to three. So they do have one of those available. So the reason I ask, and I think we're going to have him on the program here uh, in a little over a week because he's on vacation out of the country right now. But if the Pacers were almost looking for like a one-year honorary, more so veteran leader type scenario, is there any chance George Hill finds himself here for one more year? And if not, is his career coming to an end? So George would love another couple of years in the league, playing exactly what you said, being primarily the leader, the mentor, the, the extension of the coaches in the locker room, the player advocate to the coaches. Right now, uh, it, it's just not possible because of the roster situation. That doesn't mean it won't change going into camp. I know he's hopeful uh, about that, although we, we still need to, to see some, some things transpire first. I, I don't think that is completely done. I think it's still very possible uh, that he would be back. But he's, he's made absolutely clear he wants to play at least another year here, be with the team, and then he wants to continue on with the franchise in a different role, in a different capacity, and, and something – uh, like player relations, but more so he wants to, he would really like to work with the Simon family and get some, uh, you know, a minority ownership stake and, and have kind of a, a Dwayne Wade type Utah role where he, he was kind of, uh, he, he would advocate for the franchise. He would represent them. He would also be a mentor and leader. Uh, there's a variety of ways you could go with that. And he's still trying to figure it out. So in his perfect world, he would be on the roster another year or two then transition into another role with the Pacers. But right now, as you alluded to at the beginning, there are zero roster spots available. So that can't happen until they make at least a trade. And when when we talk about that role for George Hill, I, I know what an affinity George Hill had as well for the San Antonio organization. Mm-hmm. Do you think that he is specifically targeting Indiana as the franchise where he'd like to have that kind of a, a post playing career role because of the fact it's home or could San Antonio also be one that he would be interested in that regard? Yeah, that's a good point, especially right now when you got Wimby and a lot of young guys, would he be interested in that? I have not talked to him directly about that since, since Wimby. Um, that said, he has a home in San Antonio, you know, CJ miles, John Mahimi have homes right nearby the former Pacers and they hang out a lot. He has a, um, what do you call it? like a, a he has a ranch, doesn't he? What's that? He has a ranch, right? Yeah, ranch. Thank you. He has about a ranch that I think is about an hour drive out from San Antonio. Um, so I, what I think is clear is here would be his number one choice. It was his preferred destination because he also he wants this to be something long term. This is just not like the next five years after he's done playing. He, I think he wants to do this indefinitely. Um, in the big picture, and, and and what you'll see a lot of times with these guys is the first, you don't want to play in your hometown for you'd say your first five seven years in the league. There's just so many distractions, so many people wanting a piece of you, so many people hanging on. But at the end of your career, 
isn't it interesting to see how many former Pacers have made their residency here, have lived here long-term, and George would like to be one of those. Um, but, yeah, I, he has a great affinity for San Antonio and for, for Greg Popovich. So if they came with him, came to him and said, hey, how about a one-year mentorship role, I think he would take it. Career earnings for George Hill. Mark Dykton, your guess. Go. Oh, boy. Uh, $96 million. Scott Agnes, your guess. Go. 108. Scott Agnes is the winner, if we're going prices right rules. Uh, 109-331, but that does not include last year's salary, which I would assume was a veteran minimum, right? Uh, no, I think it was like $4 million, $6 million. He made you're, – you're right, I'm sorry, because Philly paid him one point three in 2022 and Milwaukee paid $4 million of it. So, uh, yeah, so one fifteen basically. Not bad. No, not bad. No, not at all. There, there's generational wealth. The crazy thing is when you put it into context now of what's happening, right? Like, and you tweeted this, I think, three weeks ago. It's Desmond Bain, you know, getting $207 million, a guy from Richmond who the Indiana programs here locally didn't recruit. And he's going to probably become one of the wealthiest players to, you know, be in the league. Gordon Hayward was up there. Eric Gordon up there as guys that have had longevity. Zach There's Randolph. That made me feel older than seeing, I think, Eric Gordon's entering year 15. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, just, <laughs> just wait, man. The, yeah. Yeah, just wait until guys that you went to college with, their sons are retiring. You're like, wait, what? That, that's <laughs> when it becomes real. Speaking of which, that's the last question for you, I guess. You had a really interesting column. I can't remember if we talked to you about it or not, Scott, but I thought uh, you'd had a nice piece on Glenn Robinson the third. Is he going to be able to find a landing spot? Man, he's hopeful. Uh, I talked to him last week in Vegas after he worked out for several teams, and he was he was feeling high energy about it. He was encouraged by it. But the fact that he didn't sign or have an agreement right away is indicating that, you know, teams want to see more or they're not there yet. And I think what we're seeing right now in a big picture, Jake, is Damian Lillard and what's going on there. And to a much lesser extent, James Harden kind of has some things on standstill kind of sitting by and waiting to see what happens next. Even the team like the Pacers, who, you know, they could get creative and get involved as a third team like they often has or, or things like that. We're not seeing many transactions right now. And so um, I think teams would need to, you know, teams might need a roster spot or things like that. But you're, you'd be looking at probably a minimum deal, a prove-it type deal for Glenn. But he says, uh, you know, he plans to have a couple more workouts coming up but he did feel good about his his workouts after being away from the game for two years and only kind of restarting this mentality and trying to get back after it uh for the last four months so i can't imagine he's even close to where he would like to be um going into next season but nothing is set just yet what's on the oh sorry here's a crazy thought scott is is portland damian lillard's a hell of a player i mean nobody denies that and he's one of the great clutch players that probably we don't see a lot of because of the fact of where he plays mm-hmm. but has Portland put themselves in position now where if they can get pieces for him it, it it doesn't overly destroy them because of the fact that they I think they have not one but two promising young players in the backcourt and seemingly have a pretty good young core am I too bullish on Portland no, I, I think either way, it's they're it, they're kind of rebuilding, restarting here. We were all surprised that they knew that Lillard wanted out, and then a couple of days later, in free agency, offered Jeremy Grant such a large contract. That one was a little bit surprising, but I keep it into context. And like, 
how many free agents are choosing to go to Portland? Not many, just like very few choose to go to Indiana. So they chose to kind of retain one of their own in Jeremy Grant. And then you got Scoot Henderson adding to the fold, which I still don't understand why Charlotte didn't draft Scoot. Far better talent than Brandon Miller. Um, and we saw that, I think, I think on display in many ways at Summer League. But the trouble here is it's, it's not as difficult situation as the Pacers had in 2017 with Paul George. But remember how much he was clamoring to go to L.A. I want to be a Laker. He was making that as obvious as possible. Well, Dame is doing that with Miami. But the Heat, they have nowhere close to what could be the best package out there. So that's something that the front office of the Trailblazers has to decide upon is how much do you care about making him happy? Obviously, they're not going to throw him to you know, a rebuilding team or anything like that. But it, there's one thing, it's one thing to send him to a good franchise. It's another to see, send him to a pr- preferable franchise. And I think if you're Portland, you have to look out for your, your team and your fans less so the player, as much as you want to have that loyalty factor. Lillard news seems to be what everyone in the NBA is kind of waiting for uh, as far as the chips yeah. to fall. So, Scott, uh, kind of the quiet period of the NBA, what do you got on the docket? Hey, I played my first uh, nine holes of golf in about four go. months this week, so that was fantastic. But really the next week for me is about playing catch-up. There's so much at Summer League that I was able to get done and talk to people, but now it's putting that into words and, and, and posting that stuff. So I'd say the next week's more about publishing. Um, then it's it just kind of keeping an eye on, bef- on things. And before you know it here in two, three weeks, we'll probably have a schedule and a full preseason schedule announced. So and NBA's done a really nice job, if you want to look at it this way, of copying the NFL in terms of trying to be relevant and being relevant in many ways, you know, all year throughout the calendar. Well, we appreciate the time, Scott. As always, we'll keep our our eyes out for those articles and hit them long, hit them straight on the golf course. All right. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thanks guys. Thank you. Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files joining us on the Payless Liggers hotline. Zach Kiefer coming up at 9.05. Before that though, we've got Indiana State Fair tickets to give away. We'll do that next. 317-239-1070. It's Kevin Inquiry, 93.5-1075 The Fan. Listening to Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. That never happened to this band. They had like one song and that was it. Never That's heard right. from them again. I've always wondered if if Kurt Cobain had not passed, would where would Nirvana be right now? What would they be? I think they'd kind of be at the Foo Fighters level where they're headlining a bunch of festivals and all that stuff. I still think they'd be a pretty, pretty hot name as far as touring and, and whatnot would go. Okay, I'll go the other way with it. You think they'd be the exact opposite? I think they would have broken up within three years of when that song came out, and Cobain would be doing some sort of individual projects. Like I could see they would be, and I I realize this band is probably together, but in terms of the forefront of the American culture, Smashing Pumpkins has fallen behind, say, like Pearl Jam. You know, Uh Pearl Jam still. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I would see Nirvana. I could totally see that Kurt Cobain would be doing like independent, like fighting with Ticketmaster type stuff. And then I think Foo Fighters still is in existence because Dave Grohl goes and does a, yeah. another project. Maybe maybe like a Blink-182 situation. They break up for a couple of years, then get back together, do a tour, break up, do an I, mean, I, I, I just like think that. Cobain, is as genius as he was, I think his conflict was such that it would have been difficult yeah. for the consistency. That was actually... Uh, that song, when did that come out? That was this week, but what year was that? Let me double check, but I believe it was 92. 90, 
So like 91, 92 seems right. Well, it, I, I forget which album some of the different ones are off of. I was an intern at MTV in 94, and Heart Shaped Box had just, I remember, was relatively prominent in that summer. Um, and that was when Courtney Love in the MTV studios uh, cussed me out, and I didn't know who it was. And then somebody said, oh, that was Courtney Love, by the way. Oh. I said, oh, what? That was 1992, just to, to okay. there you go. That was on the Nevermind album, that one. So, But anyway, aside from Nirvana, we do have Indiana State Fair tickets to give away. We've given away all week. We still have another four-pack to give away today and tomorrow, so make sure you're listening. But again, we're not just giving these away. You have to actually earn them. We're going to give you a question, uh, and, and we'll see if you get it. So stand line if you don't get selected, because if the person misses it, we'll go to the next caller. How about, how about and this that. question? Yeah. Not the one for the tickets, but uh, what one vendor do I patronize every year at the – and by patronize, I don't mean talk down to. I mean I give my money to every year at the State Fair. We do the State Fair every year. Mm-hmm. We do. We walk the loop. We walk in. We I have to get an ear of corn, and then we walk the loop. And there's always one thing that I purchase. Interesting. Every year. I purchase one thing every year. Hmm. Would you like to guess what it is? Cologne. No, that's a good Given guess. Given by your Twitter picture yesterday. Good guess. What, what was wrong with that? People give me a lot of grief. What was wrong with it? Yeah. I told you what was wrong. I said on Twitter what was wrong with it. I first sent a tweet for- yesterday with a picture of my dresser and said, I decided to organize my colognes and realized I might have a problem. Yeah, and I said the first problem is your sentence, I need to organize my cologne collection. I see nothing wrong with it. Oh. Sean Copeland said it best. I walked in this morning. He goes, "Are you wearing cologne right now?" And I go, "Yeah." And he goes, "Then you're wearing it correctly because it does. It, you didn't walk in and like overtake the room." Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I just wear it so that I feel clean myself. Uh, well, I yeah, when a, you don't shower every day, I, I would hope cologne is at least on the twice on a the day, schedule. buddy. I'm neurotic about my shower gels and my hygiene. Um, Leather goods. I buy like a, a small wallet or oh. a leather thing every year at the state fair. You get like a leather working kit where you can like stamp your own like <laughs> I, designs. I do have them put my initials in them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, all right. Who do we have and for the chance to win the pick, tickets? Pick a number. Uh, three. Three. Who we got? That is Todd. Todd. Good morning. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. You like going to the state fair? Have you been before? Oh, absolutely. What is Todd? Your... How are things at the bottom of the ocean? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh. Sorry, is it? You're fine. No, you're fine. What, what's your favorite thing to get at the fair, uh, snack wise? Ooh, snack wise, mm, anything fried, really. Well, that's like that's ninety nine percent of the offerings. I like the butter. <laughs> I like uh, the the red velvet cake. Yeah, that's. Todd, like do you cake. do you do the rides and or games in the midway? No. Okay. Do you have kids, Todd? Go for the food. That's no. cool. How old a fella are you? 40. 40, okay. okay. All right, All what's right. the question? I've got Mark? a question for you, Todd. If you get this correct, uh, you'll get a four-pack of tickets to the Indiana State Fair. Fair. Uh, I was at Hendricks County Fair again yesterday. I saw another fact that I took a picture of, and I said, this is my question. It, no- it fascinated me. Indiana ranks second in the nation in the production of popcorn and what else? Is it A, licorice, B, maraschino cherries, C, ice cream, or D, peanuts? C. C. C for ice cream or D for peanuts? Uh, ice cream. You are going to the state fair, my friend. Congratulations. Yes. Indiana University, baby. Indiana yep. University makes its own ice cream for the dormitories, and that's what catapults them. So congratulations. Stay on the line. Sam will get your information. But coming up next at 9.05, we've got Zach Kiefer to talk some Colts and some overarching NFL storylines. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. 
for listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Overrated. Okay. I'm just kidding. Nine o'clock hour <laughs> underway. Good morning to you. Jake Query along with Mark Dykton, Sam Fritz running the big board for us. Songs that were released on this particular week. I'm going to guess for Paradise City, that would be either 87 or 88. Uh, 87. Yeah. Um, and th- this one is the album, not the song. This was uh, Appetite for Destruction was released tomorrow, turning 20, I'm sorry, 46 years old. Jeez. Nice work, Sam. Made, made Jake feel really old right there. Well, it's not 46 years old. It's 36. Well, I was going to say. I was, the, the two of you suck at math, and uh, that's well, coming you, from somebody you, who you had to sit with a tutor. You went to school for journalism, man. Yeah, you, know? you, went to, you went to math just recently. I've been out of the game for a while. Well, I listen, algebra, I don't do my own algebra is different than 2023 minus 1987. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, for what it's worth. Uh, Zach Keefe, we're going to join us just a couple minutes from now. The Yesterday when I posted the picture on Twitter of my cologne collection, and people gave me grief for it, rightly so. I, that's part of why I did it. Uh, should I do the watch collection next or sunglasses? Those are the other two things. Where I, baseball hats, I had a real issue in college. I've whittled those down to probably 30, 20, something like that. There's, sunglasses, I feel like, are more kind of like they're all kind of the same. Like they might, I, don't, I can't, there's not too many variations of sunglasses unless you have like, remember the ones in the 90s that had like, that went over the top of your head? I'm gonna. Those were a flash in the pan. Strong disagree on. on well, I would say the watches have more. I would say watches have more variations than sunglasses. I don't know, man. Now, IndyCar, we had a deal. I, I shouldn't say we. I just simply worked there. Uh, every year for the Long Beach Grand Prix, there was always a an agreement with Oakley where we could go to the Oakley factory and go to the Oakley employee store, which was amazing. I think it still exists, but it's just hard to do so to find time during the Long Beach weekend because it's about an hour outside of L.A. But I would load up on Oakley sunglasses to the point where then I got there and I'm like, I I don't really have – I have all of these. Um, That's when you have a problem. When you walk into the store and like, I have all this. Spy is a very underrated sunglass line. Okay. Spy brand. S-P-Y? Yes. Very underrated. Okay. Uh, not underrated, and obviously now nationally known, Zach Kiefer joins us on the Payless Liquors hotline. He is the national. Now, Zach, tell me if this new title is correct, weaning yourself off of daily Colts coverage. National profile writer. How's that? Sure. Um, NFL writer is fine. You know, I don't have to be pigeonholed into profiles. Well, do you? if you find a storyline that is of intrigue, and it is outside the National Football League. Is it preferred that you're doing NFL-related stories, or is it almost exclusively NFL-related stories? Yeah, so I'll give you an example. Um, it's preferred. I think I'm you know, kind of in the NFL world. It's kind of where my contacts are. And um, with the season kicking off, it's definitely the focus. But, and I know every listener out there, every indie fan is going to love this one. I'm working on this story. I hope no one out there steals this on the best trash-talking stories of Reggie Miller's career because he was among the greats. Now, he didn't have the career that Larry Bird or Michael Jordan had among the other great trash-talkers. But, like, my point being, if I find a good story, and I think indie fans would love this, would eat this up, especially those like me that grew up in the 90s watching those Pacers teams, um, if they think there's a really good story out there that I can pull off, they're going to let me go chase it, whatever sport it happens to be in. So, do you find yourself, Zach, 
and I would imagine this to be the case, this would be what would be challenging for me. Um, I'm the first to admit, I'm not saying, I have no idea if I've, you know, every day I, I come in here and I think to myself, today's the day they figure out that I kind of don't belong here. <laughs> There's no way that I could do my job in Phoenix or, well, I did it in St. Louis, but it was harder because I just didn't know the roots. Like you go to St. Louis, you know about Lou Brock and you know about Bob Gibson. What you don't know before you get there is that Willie McGee is like the most popular player in franchise history. You know, those are the little things you learn once you're entrenched in a market. You've been entrenched in Indianapolis. Will it be a challenge to go beyond the surface of, of cities and teams beyond Indianapolis? Yeah, I think it will be. And I think that's a really good thing, right, to, to be challenged and to have to go find stories that are not sort of embedded in the back of your mind. Like when I jumped on the cold speed, I think it was 2013 or 2014, like I had a great wealth of knowledge because I've watched every game they played since like the Marshall Falk years, you know. So um, that was like a big – that was like a big – cheat sheet i mean it was almost like i was starting 100 yards ahead of everybody else just because i knew you know behind mike chapel i knew the history of the team and that was great for stories and for when i'm talking to guys like i remember this game because i remember watching it so that's a great resource but i also think it's good to go out and, and be challenged and not know what's going on and i think the you know one of the basic tenets of being a good reporter is being inherently curious and I'm really curious to see what it's like outside of this city. And that doesn't mean I won't write about the Colts once in a while, but, um, you know, two pretty odd stories I've uncovered so far, Pac-Man Jones adopting Chris Henry's sons. And then last week, a crazy story about Blake Martinez retiring from the NFL to make millions of dollars selling Pokemon cards. So not exactly where I thought it would go, but that's kind of the fun part is, is uncovering these stories that no one's ever heard of. And then telling them. But, yeah, it's, it's going to be different branching out of Indy, but I'm excited about it. There are certain athletes, Zach, that we – let me rephrase that. I think all athletes, we think we know them because we see them in games. We see them in press conferences. But in reality, we really don't know anything about what they're like at home, behind closed doors, when, when the cameras are off. Pac-Man Jones may or may not be an example of that. He's certainly had his fair share of indiscretions over the course of his career, but you got to see a personal side of him. Did it in any way, shape, or form change the image in your mind of Adam Pac-Man Jones? Yeah, it did. And I think that's the biggest thing with this story. There's a lot of a lot of responses to it, right? The thing with Pac-Man Jones is both things can be true. He could and did do a lot of terrible things, one of which was a nightclub shooting. He didn't pull the trigger, but he was involved in that left a man in a wheelchair. Like, that, you don't come back from that. Like, that man's in his wheelchair for the rest of his life, and that's real, and that's Pac-Man's doing, right? He, his, his hands are dirty in that. But he's not looking for redemption, and I almost led the story with that line. Like, this is not a redemption story. He's not doing this to make up for what he's done. I just genuinely think he wants to do this good thing for his fallen teammates' family. I just think both things can be true at the same time. We're all complicated people. He's among the most complicated I've ever written about. Both things can be true. He can and has done terrible things in his past, and he's also doing a really remarkable thing right now. So both things are true at the same time, and that's why it's such a fascinating story. He's not doing this to clear his name or to redeem himself. 
he's doing it simply because he, he loves Chris Henry and he loves these two sons and he feels like he can help them. And he is. Um, but again, it was not going to be this fluff piece where I just ignore all the things that he was involved in that nearly cost him his career. What Take me through the challenge, Zach Kiefer, of, for example, if you were going to do a profile piece on Shaquille Leonard, he knows you. I mean, or at least he knows of you. He sees you in the locker room. He knows that you're a legitimate, you know, credentialed, respected writer. What is the challenge and what is the approach when you are now doing profile feature pieces on subjects that you don't know and, more importantly, they don't know you? Yeah, that's a really good question um, because it's a very real element to all of this. Like, I go in the Colts locker room, like, I can profile Quentin Nelson. Like, Quentin hated talking to reporters early on, but I was able to navigate that over time because I was there every day. And there is an art to that, to getting guys to open up about some personal stuff. And I did that with Shaq, and, and you named the guys on the, on the team the last couple of years. It's completely different when you're going into this blind. I just called Pac-Man out of the blue. Like, I just, it took me a while to get his phone number, called him, and he had no interest in this story. He doesn't know me from Adam. You know, I'm nothing to him. Um, he's never come across me in his NFL career. But that's kind of the pursuit is trying to get these guys to open up, and it took some time. I mean, this one took like six months for me to just get him to talk. And then he finally did. And, and Blake Martinez wasn't super easy either, but I finally got him after a couple of weeks. But, yeah, I mean, I think you learn a lot talking to NFL players at different stages throughout your career. Like, if you can go up to Shaq Leonard after they just lost a close game and he's hot, like he's ticked off, like that helps you down the line dealing with the emotional roller coaster, for lack of a better phrase, that these guys go through. And I think you learn, like my students ask me this all the time, like how do you become a good interviewer? Well, one, you have to be an actual good listener. And so many reporters lose sight of that. They just ask a question and then stare at their phone. It's like, no, like, I don't know, listen to what they're saying. Isn't that the whole point of this? Um, so I think I've gotten better at that over the years. And at the end of the day, I don't want to have an interview with these guys. I want to have a conversation. And it takes a little bit to get there. But when you do, you start to really peel back the layers and go beneath the surface and get some pretty interesting stuff. You ever have a story that breeds another story? In other words, you're talking to a guy, Zach, yeah. and in the middle yeah. of it, he goes, man, I'll tell you who you really need to talk to. Boom, 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 boom. And then he sets it up for you, or she. Yeah, I love I love that question because that's, that's happened a couple times. I'll, I'll give you a notable one is maybe eight, nine years ago, I kind of wrote about why Indiana became a basketball state. And I went back to like the 1910s and 20s about the agriculture impact and how it boomed in the 40s and 50s. And while I was researching that, obviously the 1954 Milan team came up, but I was talking to the historian and he was telling me story after story about Bob Collins, who chronicled that team. It was a great Indianapolis Star columnist, probably the best ever. And he said, you know, the story might be Bob Collins. So a year later, I found everything I could about Bob Collins. And I, you probably read him growing up, Jake. Um, I read a lot of him as I was researching this piece. And for those that go back, he was he's the goat of Indianapolis columnists. And that spawned simply because I was researching the basketball story. And I'm not going to lie, that was one of the most fun stories I've ever had. I mean, this guy, one quick thing, he went to cover the Rose Bowl in 1968. IU was out there, took a day trip to Vegas, lost all of his money, all of his expense money, wired the company back in Indianapolis and said, 
old money gone, need new money. So they sent him new money. And he lost it at the table. So um, that was so fun. And so that goes back to it. Like, just listen and always be on the hunt for the next story. Zach Kiefer of The Athletic joining us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, your latest piece about Blake Martinez retiring to make a killing selling Pokemon cards. Zach, is that the future of possibly some of these running backs who are ticked off about their contract situations that they might have to have other options to make a living? I don't know if it's that extreme. I, I do think Blake is one of one. He is a very talented guy, and, and you can't just fall into millions selling Pokemon cards. There is an art to it that I had no idea about. Um, but the running backs, are, they're in a tough spot, man. I mean, you are what the market says you're worth, right? And I think they're having a hard time coming to grips with that. But I think every, every situation is different. As it pertains to this team and this town, I know JT is frustrated. I know JT wants to get paid. I know Jim Mercer wants to get this done. I know Chris Ballard intends to pay him. Um, but the reality is, can, can you guys name the last time a team was a Super Bowl champion led by their best player on offense being a running back? Terrell Davis. I mean, I can argue Marshall Falk for those Rams teams a couple years later, but you had Kurt Warner, so it wasn't like they were run-focused. You can maybe argue Marshawn Lynch and the Seahawks, but really that was the defense. That, Falk that, was that, definitely the straw mixing the drink, though. There's no question. Yeah. yeah. Falk was incredible. But my point being that was 2000. That was 98. So that's the reality. But I think if, in a vacuum, the Colts are going to look at this different. And it's a little bit like what the Giants are doing. So what's Daniel Jones without Saquon? I don't think the Giants want to find that out. That's going to help Saquon's leverage, whether he gets a deal in a year or not. With the Colts, I don't want to find out what Anthony Richardson is like without Jonathan Taylor back there. Think about how many three and outs there would be but Zach, if you don't have a stud running back. Here's to me. Let me offer you two points here. JMV and I talked about this, and tell me if this makes sense to you. Falk is a perfect example. Marshall Falk was a wonderful player, and people forget Peyton Manning had Marshall Falk for a year. And right. then Bill Pullian went with both the economic move but also the move of I want a running back that is hitting his prime at the same time as Manning as opposed to Manning in his prime having to do a transition of running backs. So they went with Edron James. For the Colts, the real challenge is in order to get that to coincide for Anthony Richardson with Jonathan Taylor's prime, they're going to have to pay for it. He's going to get a year with him. And then you have to decide whether or not Richardson is far enough along to align the timetables. Otherwise, you go with a third of the price, well, not even that, probably 30% the price, with 70% the production out of a young running back and, and aligning the timelines. That's a difficult balance for Chris Ballard. Agree or disagree? It is. It absolutely is. And it's crazy because you're talking about you know, a year ago, JT was one of the best players in football. Single-handedly won them several games. And that's the expectation as he comes back from this injury that he can still do this. It's hard. It's hard to marry that. It's hard to marry a Peyton Manning going first overall and Edron James going fourth overall in back-to-back years. Like, that's just not going to happen. Um, the Colts, let's say they have a top-five pick next year, which is very realistic. They're not going to draft a running back, are they? Right? Was Marvin Harrison Jr. available and made some of these quarterbacks? Um, but that's the delicate dance that they have to work through. My thinking is, and I think this is their approach, if everything about this franchise right now is getting this kid up to speed at quarterback and they want him to play early and all that, don't you want to have as many pieces around him that will help acclimate him to this league? Because he's going to stumble. Like, I don't expect him to have a great rookie year, 
I don't expect him to have a great training camp. I think people are probably going to overreact to some of his bad days. Like, they're going to come. This is how this league works. And the Colts, they got some questions in the secondary, but it's still a pretty solid defense, especially up front. I think they're going to get their way with him in camp. And all that matters at the end of January when this season is over is, is the arrow pointing up at quarterback. And I think the best way to do that is obviously you're going to have JT this year. Pittman and JT – and you got to fix that line. you got to have these pieces around him to help him grow because we saw this two different ways, right? Manning had the infrastructure, had to learn, had to go 13 and 3 and 13 his first year, and then he really took off. Luck didn't have a lot around him. He had some weapons. He had Reggie. He had T.Y. He had Fleener. But the line was never fixed, and the running back spot was never good. They went 100 games without a 100-yard rusher. And the infrastructure around Luck eventually failed him and then he got hurt, and they never were the same. So I think it's hard to say you need a great running back to win a Super Bowl because you don't, but the Colts are not winning the Super Bowl this year, next year, not anytime soon. They need to build around this quarterback, and I think one of the best ways to do that is to have an elite running back make things a little bit easier for Zach, I think – and tell me if you agree or disagree with this. I'm not saying that that this is accurate. But it feels to me like the way that we are, where we are now in the NFL with executive decision makers, a la general managers, is that the running back position is like when you're redoing your home, it is wonderful to have a huge theater size television in your basement, a flat screen one. It's awesome. And when you have the money to do that, who wouldn't buy that? But then you think about it and you're like, but. I do know that like within the next three years, I've got to re-roof my house and I do need a new furnace. Two of those are absolute necessities. The third is a luxury. Do I spend the money on the luxury right now knowing that the bills of the necessity are going to be right around the corner? And it feels to me like running backs, be it fair or not, are now seen as the theater-sized screen in their basement to executive decision-makers in the NFL. Agree? Yeah, it, it feels like they're the luxury items that you love to have the flat screen. It, it's fun. It wins, it wins you games, if we're going to continue the metaphor. But you've got to fix the roof, right? You have to have the roof. And so not every team is in the same spot. That's important to know. The Colts are not in the spot they were a year ago or two years ago where they kept convincing themselves they were close. Um, the reality is, look at what the Falcons are doing. They draft B. John Robinson, the best running back in this draft, I think eighth overall, right? because you get him for four years on that rookie deal and you have the option for five, and that's the most economical stance you can take on getting an elite running back. The Colts have enjoyed that for the most part, paying Jonathan Taylor an eighth of what he's worth the last couple years because he was a second-round pick and he was, you know, he's on his rookie deal, and you can afford that. So moving forward, you're going to have Richardson on his rookie deal, which is manageable. I have no problem with them giving – JT, let's say three for 45, 15 a year. I think that puts him behind Derrick Henry and behind McCaffrey, but I think JT's happy with that. I'm, I'm just throwing numbers off the top of my head out here, but it seems like that's fair and that's pretty high-end market-wise. But, yeah, the reality is teams are going to want to pay running backs for five years on a rookie deal, and they're going to be very, very, very selective on those second contracts. That's a brutal reality for the running backs. And only a couple are going to get the exception. Derrick Henry did, McCaffrey did, because they're get that good. I think JT's in that category. I think he gets a nice second contract. But that being said, 
this is the ugly reality for it right now. And teams are looking to get these guys in their best years, which is early, on that rookie deal. And then they're getting rid of them because that's the most economical move. And you'd rather save it to pay a $20 million receiver or a $50 million quarterback. So it seems like the outcry from running backs, they're voicing their displeasure earlier this week. That seemed different. But does anything actually end up changing from all of this, or is it just another blip on the radar and we're like, oh, yeah, I remember that happened, but it's the same old, same old, you know, six months later? Yeah, I think it's the latter, Mark. I don't think much changes. You think this is going to change owner's stances? A couple tweets? It's going to change GM's stances? No, GM's got to win. And, and, and the smartest way to win is to not pay a running back top dollar. That's unfortunate because, like, what's the one position on the field that you can hit anywhere, anytime? You know, like, that's just the reality of it. And, and JT, like, it still burns at Jim Irsay that they wasted that 2021 season that he had. He had an Edger and James-type season, more yards than any running back the Colts have ever had. You guys watched it. I mean, he's got 11 men in the box against the Patriots in the fourth quarter, and he still bust a 57-yard touchdown. Like, he took over games, and he won them games, and they were hot. And then they completely collapsed. And, and one of the reasons Jim Mercy was so mad at the end of the season, not just Carson Wentz, but it's because they wasted what could have been a historic run in the playoffs. He felt like they were like the 95 Colts. You remember that team, Jake, that, that just got hot. And Zach Crockett went crazy in San yeah. Diego, and they made it all the way to the AFC Championship game. It sounds ridiculous, but Ursay ripped all of these stats off for me, and it was similar. And when you've got a guy taking over games like JT was, that's the dream, right, is to get hot in the playoffs. And so that burns at him that they wasted that year with JT. But the reality is I just don't see very many of them getting the big second contracts that they want. But, Zach, you know what's interesting about that 95 year? What's interesting about that 95 year is that the all-pro running back Marshall Falk was hurt, and it was Zach yeah. Crockett and Lamont Warren filling in that nobody would heard of taking over and getting the team hot. Yeah, and you know then I mean? you go back to you go back to 2006, and look at Peyton Manning's numbers. Look at Peyton's numbers in the playoffs. The sides, the second half against the Patriots. I mean, everyone knows out there that um, you know it was it was Dominic Rhodes and, and Joseph Adai that carried that team in the second half. And the Super Bowl that the Colts won was largely based on the run game that night, which is you know a trip back in time because you know that team was so pass heavy, but. You're right. I remember Zach Crockett going crazy in San Diego that day in that wild card game. Do you, Zach, did you ever watch the Rocky movies? Yeah. So Rocky Balboa as a fighter, you know, Mickey would would tell him all the time, like, you got to switch to the southpaw and land the big knockout blow. But the way that Rocky wanted to fight was to just keep hitting at the abdomen and just keep hitting, keep hitting, keep hitting, and then finally Apollo goes down. Once, once, then you hit him with the knockout blow. Can Jonathan Taylor be a Rocky Balboa fighter? Is he a guy that can just hit you over and over and over, or is he strictly the knockout blow against New England running back? No, I think it's the former. I think he can do both. I really do. I really believe, and I've seen it happen in games. Um, I really do. He, he, he's the complete back. He can catch. He can get you for eight, nine a clip. I've seen it second – Second half, fourth quarter of that Houston game last year on the road. It was the opener. Everyone remembers it because they tied. But if you go back, JT dominated the fourth quarter. And Matt Ryan drove them down there to get that field goal that they eventually missed. But the reality was JT took over that game. And he didn't have a big one. He didn't have a pop. 
but he can get you seven, eight, nine yards a clip and just move the chains and go back to San Francisco in the rain the year before in that night game where Carson had the weird interception early and they were playing pretty poorly. JT just took over from there and he's done it. He's done it time and again. And I really think him at full strength makes Anthony Richardson's life so much better. And I think that above all needs to be priority number one for this franchise moving forward. But I don't know how many guys, you know, conversely can, can take those home runs like JT, like he won them games because he was able to turn what most guys would turn into 15 yards. He would turn them into 57 yard touchdowns or 60 yard touchdowns. And he had more than anybody in the league that year. So I think that's a key. And, and I think his value, I think that speaks to his value is does he score points? Yes. Does he change the way defenses play you? Yes. All that matters for the young quarterback. And I think that's why, in this particular situation for a team that's not going to be competing for the Super Bowl anytime soon, you need to make sure the infrastructure around the quarterback is sound. And that's why I'm paying Jonathan Taylor if I had the choice. Do you think Chris Ballard will pay him? I do. I do. He's always paid his homegrown studs. And it, it really comes down to this question. Does he deserve it? That's what Chris asked himself. Does he deserve it? Is he what we want to be about? And JT checks everybody. Uh, as, as of right as, now. As long I, as the ankle is good. Zach, the thing about Jonathan Taylor that he has going for him and the thing that if I'm Jonathan Taylor or his representative uh, needs to say to Chris Ballard is, listen, uh, so far I'm the guy you're hanging your hat on, right? And in terms yeah. of Chris Ballard's tenure as – as, and, and he's had good draft – don't get me wrong. I mean, he's made some nice picks. Shaquille Leonard would certainly be one of them as well. But as of right now, the player that Chris Ballard plucked in the draft that has been the one that people go, yeah, that was a great pick, man, is so far it's Jonathan Taylor, right? So if I'm Jonathan Taylor, I'm I'm reminding him of that. Uh, what other things do you have working in terms of future columns, Zach? I'm going to be on the road a lot. It's going to be weird in August. I'm not going to be going to Westfield every day, but I'm going to be on the road. I'm going to be bouncing around the six or seven NFL training camps all over the country, um, digging into some really interesting stories about some players. And it's crazy. Football season is, is just about here. I know some players are reporting today, some rookies across the league. Um, so I will have a lot of stuff coming for you guys in August. It's like the Madden tour bus. It's the Kiefer van right. rolling through. That's right. It's the it's a Kiefer rental car. There we'll you we'll go. put it that way. I, I don't I don't arrive with uh, with the same panache as, as John Madden. <laughs> that's beautiful. I know. You know you should do. Like here's a story idea for you. You ready? Yep. The number of players, football or basketball. The number of players, I think in this town alone, like Al Harrington comes to mind. I think Brad Miller comes to mind. Players that have taken their NBA or NFL money and parlayed it into a post-playing career in the cannabis industry. And the name of the column is Kiefer and Reefer. And you just you just talk to players that are making money off that. What do you think? I think the, I think the column name is better than the actual column. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, last one for me real quick. Have you had any chance to watch the quarterback show on Netflix? If so, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm like two episodes in. Um, my only hesitation with these are, is it going to be what the quarterback wants us to see? And it is to a degree, right? But I want to see the real stuff. I think that's why Hard Knocks has lost some of its luster. Is It feels staged, some of it. Um, but it's pretty good. I watched the Colts, you know, the Colts beat the Chiefs in the Mahomes, uh -huh. you know, section. And I was, oh, yeah, that really happened, which sounds crazy. Um, it's pretty good. It's, it's not as good as I'd hoped, though.
Okay. Yeah, I, I, I saw the I, I saw the first couple episodes and it's like, oh, okay, the Chiefs, the highlight of the Colts season, and then you're like, oh wait, that Vikings game is coming up later in in this season too, so that I, might be I the can't low. Wait to watch that one. Oh, I know. I, I, I'm still my jaw's still on the floor from that game. Zach, we appreciate you picking up the phone for us every single time. We ask you to have a great August. Enjoy the road trip around the training camps, and we will have you on as the NFL season nears. Thank you again, my friend. Let's do it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you, Zach Kiefer of the Athletic on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We've still got WWE Fastline tickets to give away in the pop quiz, so 317-239-1070. But before that, a morning checkdown. The morning checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Major League Baseball yesterday it was cute fella. The Baltimore Orioles over the Dodgers 8-5. We're checking in on a race for PBR. Kevin's Oakland Athletics getting a win 6-5 over the Red Sox. Hardly matters. They're so far back. And your Arizona Diamondbacks mark 5-3 winners over yes, the Atlanta Braves. Most notably and more importantly, the Cincinnati Reds losing streak is over. They defeat the Giants 3-2. The Cubs yesterday picked up a win as well. I'm trying to look. Who did the Cubs? 8-3 uh, over Nationals. Washington Nationals. Took two out of three. Uh, Tigers, wins, uh, Tigers win 3-2 over the Kansas City Royals. It was the Chicago White Sox in keeping with the Midwestern team. 5-1 losers to the New York Mets. St. Louis Cardinals yesterday. Uh, where is the card? The NL Central all won. It was Six a clean four sweep the, for the NL Central against their opponents. Yep. Um, and then the uh, Iowa Cubs, uh, 7-1 winners over the Indianapolis Indians. The second of a six-game winning streak, which you might go to the Saturday game, which 7-5 first pitch for Saturday. Uh, I'll be in Iowa, by the way, for the IndyCar doubleheaders. That is Saturday and Sunday from the Iowa Speedway in Newton, Iowa. When we come back to Pop Quiz, we have come up with five questions with Scott Johnson now in day four of the five-day vacation. But no fear. We have come up with questions nonetheless. We'll do that in just a couple of minutes here. 239-1070 is the telephone number for the pop quiz, and we have on the line not only the Jiffy Lube prize pack. Anything else we're giving away, Mark? WWE Fastlane tickets, October 7th, Saturday at Gainbridge Fieldhouse. Pair of tickets uh, if you do well there. So there you go. 93.5-1075, the fan. It's pop quiz time on Kevin and Query. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? I was just about to say. So, Mark, how many questions did you come I've up with? I've got three. I okay. came up with three. You and I have workshopped this. So you have two. I do. Now, okay. what happens if they repeat? Because we have not matched wits. Oh, well, I, I think mine mine are uh, – there's a wrestling question, which I know you didn't touch that one. That is correct. Uh, there's a, a question that I think if you were listening earlier to the Rick DeMulling interview, you should do very well on that one. And then – there's a uh, Indiana Fever question. Okay. Um, I have one. Actually, both of mine are Pacer related. Okay. So we should be good to go. We should be good um, to go. Give us a number, Mark Dykton, one through eight. Three. Number three, Sam. That's, That's how many questions Joe. I took. Joe, good morning. How you doing? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing well. You big WWE fan? Uh, I'm a moderate WWE fan, but I got buddies that'll love it. Okay. All Joe, right. uh, have you played get, to, have you called the program before Joe? I have, I've called before. Did we play get to know your listener? I don't believe so. It's a, it's a fun segment we do. We've had a lot of good kids love it in particular. We've had a lot of good research on it. Uh, would you like to participate and get to know your listener before we begin the pop quiz, Joe? Sure. Bring it on. Uh, if you don't mind me asking Joe, who was president of the United States in the year of your birth? I believe it would have been Reagan. Okay, so Ronald you Reagan, are... the actor. <laughs> so you are uh, roughly, obviously, you are in your forties, correct? Yes. Okay, um, Joe. When you were a kid, who was the first sports and/or entertainer 
uh, sports figure or entertainer whose poster you had on your wall? Ooh, uh, probably would have been my brother. My older brother was a big uh, Sweetness fan, so that would have been up there. That probably yeah. makes sense, yeah. Okay. Uh, I thought for a minute you said you had a poster of your brother on your wall. I was, I was confused no, myself. man, he's not that cool. <laughs> okay, Joe, when you were in high school, without telling me the name of the school um, – or the name of the mascot. The, the the mascot of your high school, a la, you know, Panthers, Warriors, Crusaders, whatever else, is it used by any of the three major professional sports? No. It is not, okay. And did you go to high school in the area? Uh, Northern Indiana. Northern Indiana. The, the school that you attended, has it ever won a state championship in football or basketball? No. All right, give me the name of the school then. Uh, Wabash Apaches. The Apaches, that, that's what they are? Mm-hmm. That's actually pretty cool. Wabash yeah, is kind awesome. of a cool little town, isn't it? Yeah, not bad. Real cool little town. On the Orange way between – Nice color. On the way between here and Wawasee, is that right? Mm-hmm. Nailed okay. it. Did you ever go to Wawasee when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, what line of work are you in now, Joe, that brings you to Indianapolis? Finance. Oh. I do financial advising, oh, things really? like that. Really? Okay. I'm not what, a numbers guy, so I might so need to call you. What university – did you go to IU? No, I'm a Purdue guy. Okay. Well, my apologies, but I just know IU, like the Kelly School of Business, is, is – but Purdue's got a good business school, right? No, IU's got a good business school, but typically the smarter people go to Purdue. <laughs> okay. Well, rivalry enough. is strong. Well, we'll find out how smart you are. No pressure now, Joe. You put it on yourself. <laughs> would you like for me, that would be Jake, or for Mark to lead you off with question number one? Uh, Jake, go ahead. Now, Joe, let me ask you, if, if, if we were going to have the PBR party, would you rather sit down and have a beer with me – Diet Coke's fine too. Me, Mark, or Kevin? Uh, I think you all do a pretty good job. I'd be game with 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 any of the three. That is an excellent, excellent answer. Well, you, you, I, and Kevin will have a conversation while Jake talks to himself in the mirror and sprays cologne. That's right. That's what I do best. All right, here we go. Question number one for you, Joe. You ready? Yep. Uh, Jarris Walker, of course, the first round pick of the Indiana Pacers out of the University of Houston. We now know had a minor surgery on his elbow. Who was the last Pacer player to have played collegiately at the University of Houston? In other words, who was the most recent Cougar before Walker to have played for the Pacers? Is it Andre Owens, Joe Young, Corey Joseph, or Trevor Booker? Ooh. Uh, who was the second name? Joe Young. Also yeah, the I'm correct one. Yeah. Yep, I'm going to go with that one. Okay. All right, Joe. Uh, J- I, were you listening to the show earlier today? Uh, moderately. I was dropping my kids off. I'm at Jiffy Loop hanging out now. Oh, that still works. Moderate listening is still listening. All right, Jake You know what? <laughs> he gets the Jiffy Loop oil change out of this. He's going to be That's able right. to hold on to that for another three months. So Jake mentioned a story regarding Jim Moore and Peyton Manning during during our interview with Rick DeMulling earlier. Who was Moore's defensive coordinator at the time that is still active in the NFL today? Is it Steve Spagnolo, Bill Belichick, Vic Fangio, or John Fox? I'd say Spags. Okay. Okay, question number three for you. Uh, We talked about George Hill earlier today. He is out of the country right now on a vacation because we're probably going to have him on the show here in a couple weeks. Uh, For which team that I'm about to list did George Hill not play in his NBA career? So he has played for three of these four teams. You're going to tell me the one he did not play for. A, the 76ers. B, the Thunder. C, the Timberwolves. D, the Cavaliers. I believe it was Oklahoma City he did not play for. Okay. 
All right, Joe, who leads the Indiana favor in points per game this season? Is it Aaliyah Boston, Kelsey Mitchell, Erica Wheeler, or Nalissa Smith? We've got to say Boston, but I don't I don't have any clue. Okay, and last one for you, since we're giving away WWE tickets, there is a WWE question. In what now-demolished arena did Hulk Hogan famously body slam Andre the Giant at WrestleMania three in front of 93,000 fans? Was it A, John F. Kennedy Stadium in Philadelphia, B, the Pontiac Silverdome in Detroit, C, Cleveland Stadium in Cleveland, Ohio, or D, Giant Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey? Detroit came to mind to begin with, so I'll go with that one. Joe, you sound like a nice fella. Did you say that you have kids? Yes, two of them. And how old are they? Three and five. Oh, okay, and and you live on what side of town? Like, in other words, you know, years from now, I realize, but they'll they'll probably go schooling where? Uh, they're going to go to St. Louis de Montfort. We're in Fishers. Okay, fair enough. And then would they go to Garen after that? Probably, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's see how you did here. Question number one, the last pacer to have played at Houston, Joe Young, was indeed the correct answer. Uh, you tripped up a little bit on question two. I mentioned the Rick DeMulling story, who was Jim Moore's defensive coordinator when he had the dust-up with Peyton Manning. It was not Steve Spagnola. It was actually Vic Fangio, the current Dolphins defensive coordinator. Joe, stay on the line. You will get the tickets to WWE and WWE Fastlane, so Sam will get your information. Uh, Kelsey Mitchell was actually the correct answer for the Fever's points per game. What was your... Oklahoma City is correct because George Hill played for Philly. Minnesota, or, uh, excuse me. He said Oklahoma City. That was incorrect. Sorry. Uh, he did not play for Minnesota. Believe it or not, he did play 14 games for Oklahoma City. But he said his mind had him going to Pontiac Silverdome in Detroit. That was correct. Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan at I've WrestleMania been to the Silverdome, by the way. I saw the remnants of it before I think they completely that's, demolished that's it. That's what I went to. I, I tried to sneak in. Security caught me. No. I did sneak into the it, Astrodome. I, was, I thought, yeah, it was the Astrodome or the Alamo Dome? Astrodome. Okay. I, I still have Astro. Along with my cologne collection, I have AstroTurf. Interesting. You Fascinating. Know, somebody, somebody said to me, they said, uh, Jake, the thing about cologne is that's not so bad because it's the only thing you collect. And I said, well, I actually collect watches. Mm-hmm. You know what I said about that, right? No. I'm um, sure there's a pun in there. Uh, the the watches require more dollars than the cents. Yeah, that's where I kind of thought that was going to go. We'll come back and mercifully put a bow tie on it next. Putting a bow tie on it on a Thursday morning on Kevin and Query. Good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. Kevin Bowen out until Monday on vacation before the uh, NFL season starts really in full swing with Colts reporting for training camp. We'll be out there for a few shows for sure uh, coming up next week. Right, Jake? Uh, that is correct. As a matter of fact, um, for the Colts camp itself, I can tell you the dates in which we will be out there, which are plenty. We were only out, what, twice last year? Is that uh-huh. right? Yeah. But um, a, lot, a lot of morning practices, which means a lot of morning shows will be uh, will be out there at Westfield. We will be out there July, well, on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Uh-huh. Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, as a matter of fact. Um, or no, I'm sorry, Tuesday, Wednesday. Then Friday, we're going to be at the State Fair, which I look forward to at the Dairy Bar at the State Fair. And then after that, we're going to be out there on July 31st, August 1st, August 3rd, August 8th. So we're out there. Plenty of plenty of stops. Pretty much every time there's a morning practice, we'll be out there. And we, I don't know which game they will be used, but we are just about 10 minutes away from the unveiling for the Colts of an alternate uniform. Now, Mark, you fill me in. Are these, you know, Nike does the whole, like, color rush. Uh-huh. 
and the different things. Is this part of like a, a promotional NFL thing? I don't know. We're seeing a lot of jerseys, alternate jerseys come up. Uh, the Browns had one. The Bucks are going back to their cream sickles. We but saw those the are ju- these are just for like a respective game, right? Right, game or two, yeah. So I think the Browns are wearing their all whites a couple games this season and all that. But yeah, there was a uh, you know the Colts released like their their game day schedule or whatever. But in the one for the Browns, it said to be announced July seventeenth, and July seventeenth came and went. And I was like, did I miss something or did they not announce anything? And then all of a sudden the tweet last night popped up tomorrow at 10 a.m. They're unveiling something. This is like a quick 18-second video of two uh, silhouettes of Colts players. Uh, the, the skyline shows up, and it, they're all you can't even make out who it is. It's just all black, but it looks like it's going to be a jersey unveiling of some sort. The Browns, the Cleveland Browns, in terms of wearing all white, they did the same in 1951. They will wear their alternate uniforms three times so I would assume that means the Colts will wear you know something around that quite truthfully the most of these uniforms that we see are not necessarily alternate uniforms as much as just throwbacks and part of that immediately makes you feel old because you realize like wait a minute that's not you know that's that's just the jersey of such and such and you realize it's been 30 40 years um the Vikings also are doing basically just throwback uniforms. Probably no ones are more – no team's original or throwback uniforms are more iconic than the Tampa Bay Bucks. You know, the, the Texans wearing Houston Oilers stuff is pretty awesome. Um, or, excuse me, the Titans wearing Houston Oilers stuff mm-hmm. is pretty awesome. Um it's funny because I, the, the picture I saw of it had DeAndre Hopkins in it, and so my mind immediately went to Houston. But obviously the Titans are the Houston Oilers. The The creamsicles of the Tampa Bay Bucks. I think I've told this story probably, I don't know if I have to you, Mark. I love Bucko Bruce. I think it's one of the great logos in professional sports history. Bucko Bruce is the, the buccaneer with the, the sword that was part of the creamsicle uniforms of the Bucks. But because those uniforms, I think, were so attached to the terrible John McKay era Bucks of when they first came into the league, at no fault of theirs, they were so bad. People forget that Carolina and Jacksonville, when they were expansion teams, the league set it up based on salary cap or lack thereof for those teams and the draft aspects of it in the initial years for those teams to be successful right out of the box, and they were. Tampa didn't have that luxury, and they were terrible. And I think that for so long, those uniforms were so attached to those years that the Bucks wanted to distance from it. Then they won Super Bowls, and, you know, Tom Dungy. Brady came to town. Yeah, but, I mean, before that, like, yeah. they won – when they won Super Bowls with the new uniform and the new look, it kind of exercised the demons of the past, thus allowing them to then pay tribute – to the to their infancy and their fledgling years, but Buckeye Bru- or, or Bucko Bruce, as he's known, one year I was in Tampa visiting my cousin, and there was a t- they had a T-shirt like an old school T-shirt with just Bucko Bruce on it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is the coolest thing ever, and I bought it, and I was wearing it in the airport on the way home, and I think it was at Atlanta, and like several people came up to me, and they're like, you're a fan of Bucko Bruce? I'm like, oh, yeah. And they're like, how old were you when you became a fan of Bucko Bruce? I'm like, I, I, I don't know, like five or six. Uh-huh. 
They're like, really? You realized at that young an age that you were a fan of Bucko Bruce? I'm like, yeah, I, 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 the uniforms were awesome. Like, I mean, I was just getting into football. I had the little plastic helmets out of the oh, yeah. bubblegum machine and, uh-huh. the, and the pencils. And I mean, I always, I, and then finally by like the third or fourth person, they're like, no, no, no. Are you a fan of Bucko Bruce as a, as a subliminal context message oh. of an alternate lifestyle, which I, I have no problem with, but I'm like, oh, no, no, that's not what I'm – I thought you literally thought, was I a fan of the Tampa Bay Bucks? Gotcha. Um, but they are wearing those uniforms. I don't know if that euphemism still exists in terms of that or not. Um, the one that I think is the best, the absolute best, I love – not like, I love – First grade Allisonville School Carnival. They had, I don't know, like a dunk tank and a free throw contest and probably a ski ball. And one of the prizes that you could win were posters, sports posters. Mm-hmm. And my buddy Mike Hillary, remember the old Sports Illustrated posters that just had the picture of the player and then at the top it just had their name? Everybody is a kid in the in the late seventies, early eighties. Every kid had it on their wall. You know, Walter Payton. I have I had so many of them. I could still I can tell you the photo in my mind. You could show me the photo instantly. I'd go. That's the one that was the poster. Walter Payton was coming through the line with the ball, jumping his, over the offensive line, well, or something like that. The Walter Payton photo of the Sports Illustrated poster was him bursting through the line with his hands on either side of the football, the top and the bottom, uh-huh. as he's coming through the line. Jordan, he was. Uh, underneath and he was kind of reverse laying the ball in uh, you know there were so many I, I had a, a mean Joe Green was the first one that I got he was coming around the line against the Baltimore Colts but my buddy Mike Hillary got a Jim Zorn poster and I absolutely loved the helmet and color combination of the Seattle Seahawks of oh, that yeah. era I, I just think it is such a clean look the silver helmet with the kind of lime green and royal blue stripe of the Seahawk itself and the Seahawks in unveiling their alternate uniforms that's what they're going back to is basically the Kurt Warner that's Kurt with a C not the K the Kurt Warner Jim Zorn um, Steve Largent era Dave Craig Dave Craig Jeff Kemp awesome awesome uniforms those are great I I, I'm always partial and I know this is not a big fan of people um, people are not fans of this team and Tom the old Patriots jerseys with the red jerseys and then the Patriot hiking the football I always thought those are pretty sweet I always like those when they wear those throwbacks I like those a lot I'll be curious to see what the Colts ones look like and I'm sure we will discuss them three minutes tomorrow three minutes before they come out Uh yep are you sitting anxiously by your computer, oh, refreshing? I'm refreshing like crazy, like you for a pair of sunglasses right now. <laughs> My spy sunglasses, I love them. Hey, a lot of fun today. Uh, appreciate you folks listening, and we will do it again tomorrow at 7 a.m. It's Kevin and Query here, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.